Lord Peter Wimsey. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Levin. Episode one, The Riddlesdale Inquest. Good morning, my lord. Lordship's bath water is ready. Oh. Uh, yeah, that sounded so refreshing, Bunter. Would you mind saying it again? <laughs> Your bath water is ready, my lord. Oh, very agreeable. Contrast, you see, Bunter. Contrast is life. Corsica yesterday, Paris today, and then dear London. You won't wait, oh. Your Lordship, so I took the liberty of ordering a continental <sighs> breakfast. Continental? That sounds a trifle risky, Bunter, but not the way you say it. Hello? What's that scent? Bath salts, my lord, by courtesy of the Hotel Muris. Oh, how very French of them. That'll be the coffee and rolls, my lord. Uh, bring them into the bathroom, Bunter, would you? I can't wait to soak the dust of Corsica off my aching limbs. Ah, coffee, rolls, butter, any uh, English marmalade? His lordship is very partial to Oxford marmalade. You wish for jam, monsieur? Never mind. Jam for breakfast. Here we are, my lord. Ah, oh, thank you. Let's try and balance it on this bath tray, Bunter, would you? Are there the times you got that? Yes, uh, today's, my lord. It arrived by aeroplane this morning. Amazing. Today's time's in Paris. At... What is the time, Bunter? Five minutes to ten, my lord. Five minutes? Look, I told you to let me sleep. What on earth made you wake me at this hour? I had no doubt your lordship would be wishing to go to Riddlesdale at once. Oh, Riddlesdale? Why, what's the matter? Anything wrong? Uh, the headline, my lord. Well, what's he say? Riddlesdale inquest. Duke of Denver arrested on murder charge. Gerald? Good grief. Let's have a look, Bunter. Upon my soul. When's the next train? I beg your lordship's pardon. I took the liberty to book seats in the aeroplane Victoria. She starts at 11.30. Yeah, you did quite right, Bunter. Dear me, poor old Gerald arrested for murder. Always hated my being mixed up with the police. Now he's mixed up with them himself. How very distressing to a brother. Well, I suppose one must have breakfast. Yes, my lord. There's a full account of the inquest in the paper, my lord. Well, read it, Bunter, would you, while I take a little nourishment. Who's on the case, by the way? Mr. Parker, my lord. Parker? Oh, I say that is good. Splendid old Parker. You can say it's just awkward for my brother having no turn for criminology, what? I'm commonly worrying for the poor old lad. Yeah, well, read on, Bunter, read on. The inquest was held today at Riddlesdale in the North Riding of Yorkshire on the body of Captain Dennis Cathcart. The tragedy occurred at the Duke of Denver's shooting lodge on the night of October the 13th. The Duke of Denver gave evidence. 
I was returning from a stroll in the garden. At three o'clock in the morning? That's right. And my foot struck against something. I switched on my electric torch and saw at my feet the body of Dennis Cathcart. Did you realize he was dead? Oh, absolutely. I turned him over to make certain and saw that he'd been shot in the chest. Then I heard a cry in the conservatory and saw my sister, Lady Mary, at the door. Did she say anything? Yes, she said, Oh, God, Gerald, you've killed him. What? please. Were you surprised by that remark? Well, I was so shocked and surprised by the whole thing. I, I think I said to her, Don't look. And she said, Oh, it's Dennis. What can have happened? And I sent her to the house to rouse everybody. Do you remember how she was dressed? I don't think she was in her pyjamas. <laughs> I think that she had a coat on. I understand that Lady Mary Wimsey was engaged to the deceased. Yes. He was well known to you? He was a son of an old friend of my father's. Parents are dead. I believe he lived chiefly abroad. I ran across him during the war, and in 1919 he came to stay at Denver. He became engaged to my sister at the beginning of this year. With your consent? Yes, certainly. What kind of man was he? Well, he was a sahib and all that. I think he lived on his income. His father was well off. I never heard anything against him until that evening. What was that? Well, if anybody but Tommy Freeborn had said it, I would never have believed it. I must ask your grace of what exactly you had to accuse the deceased. Well, I, I didn't exactly accuse him. An old friend of mine made a suggestion. I thought it must all be a mistake. So I went to Cathcart, and to my amazement, he practically admitted it. Then we both got angry, and he told me to go to the devil and rushed out of the house. When did this quarrel occur? On Wednesday night, and that was the last I saw of him. Please, we cannot have this disturbance. Will you, Grace, give me, as far as you can remember, the exact history of this quarrel? We'd had a long day shooting, and at about half past nine, we felt like turning in. My sister and Mrs. Pettigrew Robinson toddled on up, and we were having a last peg in the billiard room when Fleming, that's my man, came in with the letters. They come any old time. We are about two and a half miles from the village, you understand? Uh, no. no uh, um, actually, just then, I was in the gun room. Uh, there was this letter from Tom Freeborn. I used to know him at the house. Whose house? Christchurch, Oxford. He wrote to say he'd seen the announcement of the engagement in Egypt. In Egypt? I mean, he was in Egypt. Tom Freeborn. He said, would I excuse him for interfering? But did I know who Cathcart was? Said he'd met him in Paris during the war and he lived by cheating at cards. I thought I ought to know. Did this letter surprise you? I couldn't believe it at first. And if it hadn't been old Tom Freeport, I'd have put the thing on the fire straight off. What did you do? Well, I went and knocked at Cathcart's door. He said, who the devil's that, or something of the sort. And I went in and said, can I have a word with you? Well, cut it short then, he said. I was surprised. He wasn't usually rude. Well, I said, fact is, I've had a letter from an old friend of mine, and he says he met you in Paris. What the? You want to come talking to me about Paris for, he said, in a most uncommonly unpleasant way. Well, I said, don't talk like that, because it's misleading under the circumstances. What are you driving at, says Cathcart. Spit it out and go to bed. I said, all right, I will. 
It's from a man called Freeborn, and he says you lived by cheating at cards. Well, I thought he'd break out at that, but all he said was, what about it? I said, well, it's not the sort of thing I'm going to believe like that, right bang, slap off without any proof. And then he said a funny thing. He said, beliefs don't matter. It's what one knows about people. Do you mean to say you don't deny it, I said. It's no good by denying it, he said. You must make up your own mind. Nobody could disprove it. And then he jumped up, nearly knocking the table over, and said, I don't care what you think or what you do if you'll only get out. Now, look here, I said. I'm sure there must be some mistake. Only you being engaged to Mary, I am naturally concerned. Oh, he said, if that's what's worrying you, it needn't. That's all. I said, what? He said, our engagement. Off, I said. But I was talking to Mary about it only yesterday. Who the hell do you think you are to come here and jilt my sister? You can get out, I said. I'm no use for swine like you. I will, he said, and he pushed past me and slammed downstairs and out of the front door and banged it after him. What did you do? I shouted to him not to be a silly fool. It was pouring with rain, beastly cold. Didn't come back. I told Fleming to leave the conservatory door open in case he thought better of it. And then what did you do? I went to bed. Can you suggest any explanation for Cathcart's behavior? I think he must somehow have got wind of that letter and realized that the game was up. Did you do anything further in the matter? No, I didn't want to go out hunting for the fellow. I was twice too angry. Besides, I thought he'd change his mind before long. It was a brute of a night and he'd only a dinner jacket. Then you just went quietly to bed and never saw the deceased again? And not till I fell over him outside the conservatory at three in the morning. Ah, yes. Now, can you tell us how you came to be out of doors at that time? I, um, I didn't sleep well. Um... I went out for a stroll. At three o'clock in the morning? It, uh, my wife's away. Look at you. Silence. You got up at that hour of an October night to take a walk in the pouring rain? Just a stroll. At what time did you leave your bedroom? Oh, half past two, I, I should think. Which way did you go out? By the conservatory door. The body was not there when you went out. Oh, no. Exactly where did you go? Oh, roundabout. You heard no shot? No. Did you go far away from the conservatory door? Uh, uh, well, I was some way away. Uh, perhaps that's why I didn't hear anything. Were you as much as a quarter of a mile away? Oh, I should think I was. Oh, yes, quite. You must have left the grounds then. Oh, I think I did. Yes. I walked about on the moor a bit, do you know. Can you show us the letter you had from Mr. Freeborn? Oh, certainly, if I can find it. I thought I'd put it in my pocket, but later, when I looked for it, I couldn't find it. Hmm. Can you have accidentally destroyed it? No. No, I'm sure I remember putting it in my... Ah, yes, I remember now. I did destroy it. That is unfortunate. Uh, perhaps you kept the envelope. Uh, no, I didn't. Then you could show the jury no proof of having received it. Well, not unless Fleming remembers it. No doubt we can check that way. Thank you, Your Grace. Call Lady Mary Windsor. Cool customer, isn't he, Inspector Parker? The Duke? Yeah. Cool. 
Under the circumstances, incredibly so. His sister looks a good deal more shaken than he is. Uh, pretty, though. Yeah. Black suits her. Shh, Cooper, I want to hear the evidence. Lady Mary, I'm aware that this must be a very harrowing ordeal for you. I shall endeavour to make it as easy as I can. How long have you been engaged to the deceased? Uh, about eight months. You are quite happy? Quite. Did he tell you much about his previous life? We were not given to mutual confidences. We usually discussed subjects of common interest. Did you gather at any time that Captain Cathcart had anything on his mind? Not particularly. Did he speak of his life in Paris? He spoke of theatres and amusements there. I was staying in Paris with some friends last February and he took us about. That was shortly after our engagement. Did he ever speak of playing cards in Paris? I don't remember. You never heard him complain of being hard up? Everybody complains of that, don't they? Was he a man of cheerful disposition? He was very moody. Did you know about the deceased wishing to break off the engagement? No, I did not. There had been no quarrel? No. So far as you knew, on Wednesday evening, you were still engaged to the deceased with every prospect of being married to him shortly? Yes, of course. He was not... Oh, forgive me this very painful question. The sort of man who would have been likely to lay violent hands on himself? I never thought... Well, I suppose he might have done. That would explain it, wouldn't it? Hmm. Now, Lady Mary... Will you tell us exactly what you heard and saw on Wednesday night and Thursday morning? Mrs. Pettigrew Robinson and I went up to bed about half past nine, leaving the men downstairs. At about quarter past ten, I heard two men talking loudly, and then I heard someone run downstairs and bang the front door. Then I went to bed. What happened next? I woke up at three o'clock. What wakened you? I heard a shot. You were not awake before you heard it? I may have been partly awake. I... I listened for a few minutes, and then I went down to see if anything was wrong. Why did you not call your brother or some other gentleman? Why should I? I thought it was probably only, only poachers. So you went downstairs by yourself. Oh, that was very plucky of you, Lady Mary. Did you go immediately? Not quite immediately. I put on walking shoes over bare feet, a heavy coat and a woolly cap. It may have been five minutes after hearing the shot that I went downstairs to the conservatory. Why did you go out that way? It was quicker. When I got there, I saw a man outside bending over something on the ground. When he looked up, I was astonished to see my brother. Before you saw who it was, what did you expect? I thought it was burglars. His grace has told us that when you saw him, you cried out, Oh, God, you killed him. Can you tell us why you did that? I... I thought my brother must have come upon the burglar and fired at him in self-defense. Quite so. You knew that the Duke possessed a revolver? Oh, yes. I think so. What did you do next? My brother sent me up to get help. I, I knocked up Mr. Arbuthnot and Mr. and Mrs. Pettigrew Robinson. Th then I suddenly felt very faint. And I went back to my bedroom and took some self-volatily. Everybody was running about. I couldn't. <laughs> Take Lady Mary downstairs and give her every assistance. Can't help feeling sorry for her, even if she is lying, Inspector. You think she did it, do you? Shot him? Oh, I wouldn't say that. But I think she may know more about it than she's prepared to admit. You've got a lot to learn, I'd say. Oh, sorry, Inspector. That's all right. Just don't jump to conclusions. You are the Honourable Frederick Arbuthnot. 
Afraid so. I, I mean, yes. Can you remember the night of Wednesday, October the 13th? Rather. Never forget it. Will you tell the court what happened? Well, I turned in with the rest of the crowd a little before ten. Left Denver downstairs, but heard him come up later. How much later? I didn't look at me what. I was brushing my teeth at the time. Then I got into bed and turned the gas off. Or rather, I turned the gas off and then got into bed. And then I heard shouting coming from Cathcart's room. Then somebody slammed the door and ran down the stairs, held the leather. Well, for all I knew, the place was on fire, so I jumped out of bed and made a beeline for the door, opened it, and there was old Denver just standing there. Did he say anything to him? Well, actually, I said, Hello, Denver, what's the row? And then? Then he rushed into his own bedroom and shouted out of the window. What did he shout? Don't be an ass, man. Did he sound angry? Very. But that didn't mean anything. He was always like that. More more dust and kick. Did you know Dennis Cathcart? Not very well. Did you form an opinion as to his character? Yes. What was it? Didn't like him. Any particular reason? Lord, no. Have you ever heard that he cheated at cards? Certainly not. You saw him with Lady Mary several times? Yes. Did you notice anything particular in his manner to her that evening? No, not at all. Or hers to him? No, but I'm not an observant type. I, I thought the dust up none of my business. Went to bed and to sleep. When did you hear anything further that night? Nothing. Until poor little Mary knocked me up. Then I toddled down and found Denver bathed in Cathcart's head. Did you hear a shot? No, not a sound. Thank you, that's all. Call Mr. Pettigrew Robbins. Mr. Pettigrew Robbins. Cooper, will you go and see that Lady Mary's all right? Oh, yes, Inspector. She's a lovely-looking girl, Inspector. Try to be impersonal, Cooper. You are Alfred James Pettigrew Robbins. I am. You go up to bed at the same time as the others on Wednesday night of October the 13th? Yes. Uh, what did you hear when you got up to the bedroom? Nothing. Nothing? Not when I got up to the bedroom, no. Did you hear anything later? Yes. What did you hear? A quarrelling. Who was quarrelling? Sounded like our host and Cathcart. What did you do? Opened my door. There was Denver. What was he doing? Shouting down to his man to leave the door of the conservatory open. Then he went back to his bedroom. Did you speak to him? I said, what's up, Denver? What's up? Denver. What's up, Denver? Yes. And uh, what did he say? Nothing. Just closed his bedroom door. And what happened after that? Nothing until about 11.30. Then I heard his door open again and someone tiptoed down the passage. Did you hear anyone return? No, I went to sleep. Thank you. Call the next witness. Will you, Violet? Come, come. Uh, I'll be back, Inspector. Ah, there you are, yes. How's Lady Mary? Yeah, they've got a doctor down there. Seems to be more or less all right. Good. What's been uh, going on here? Uh, nothing much from the house guests. Uh, uh, that's the deceased man's aunt going into the box now. Mm. Come up from Golders Green. Goes on, doesn't he? Do you mind if I nip out for a smoke, Inspector? All right, Cooper. Don't be long. My nephew's notions were always very French. He was educated abroad. After my brother's death, I was left executrix of the will and guardian until Dennis came of age. Then he came into 10,000 a year. It was in some kind of foreign property. I benefited from the will also and converted my shares into British securities. I cannot say what Dennis did with his. Did he play cards, to your knowledge? I believe he was very good at cards. Uh, did he, to your knowledge, ever cheat? No, but it wouldn't surprise me. I believe the people he consorted with in Paris were most undesirable. 
I never met any of them myself, I am pleased to say. I have never been to France. <laughs> Silence! Thank you, Miss Cathcart. Call the next witness, John Thomas Hardraw. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you are John Thomas Hardraw? Uh, yes, sir. You live in a cottage in the grounds of Riddlesdale Lodge? Yes, sir. Did you hear a shot fired on the night of Wednesday? I heard a shot about ten minutes to twelve. Was that unusual? Uh, no, sir. It's a good poaching country round there. You thought it was purchase? Yes, sir. Did you do anything about it? I got up and went out with my gun. But I saw never a shoal, dead or alive. I went back to bed about one o'clock. Did you fire your gun at any time? No, sir. Did you hear any more shots? Only that one shot. Then I went to sleep again and was wakened by chauffeur going for the doctor. What time is that? Oh, about quarter past three. Thank you. You may stand down. <laughs> Call the next witness. Dr. James MacDonald Thorpe. Oh, had your smoke, Cooper? Sorry, Inspector. What's been happening? Well, the local doctor seems to think the body has been dead for three hours. Oh, it doesn't add up with the lovely Lady Mary's evidence, does it? Do you think she did it? No. But then I don't think it was the Duke, either. But then Shh, let's hear Craig's. You are Inspector Craig's? I am. Will you tell us what happened on the morning of Thursday, October the 14th? Uh, accompanied by Dr. Thorpe, I examined the body which was lying on its back just outside the conservatory door, near the open well. As soon as it became light enough, I examined the ground thereabouts and discovered several blood stains along the path and signs that the body had been dragged along it. The blood tracks led to the shrubbery. In the shrubbery, I found a pool of blood and a revolver. The deceased wore a dinner jacket. He had no hat or overcoat and was wet through. I searched the deceased's pockets and his bedroom but found no clue which could shed light on the circumstances. Is that all you have to say? Yes, sir. Thank you. Recall the Duke of Denver. <coughs> the uh, Duke of Denver? <coughs> I should like to ask, Your Grace, whether you ever saw the deceased with a revolver? Uh, not since the war. You do not know if he carried one about with him? Oh, I have no idea. You can make no guess, I suppose, to whom this revolver belongs? That's my revolver. Out of the study table drawer. How did you get hold of that? You are certain? I'm positive. I saw it there only the other day when I was hunting out some photos of Mary for Cathcart. Did you keep it loaded? Lord, no. Did anybody else know that the revolver was there? Well, Fleming did, I think. I don't know of anybody else. Thank you, Your Grace. That will be all. The court will adjourn for two hours prior to my summing up. <clears throat> That's enough hot water, Munter. I'll turn it off, my lord. And I don't like the sound of that coroner one little bit. How did he sum up? Just read the end, would you? Uh, if you feel justified in laying the killing at any person's door, then you must allow no respect of persons to prevent you from doing your duty. Well, that's that, Bunterell's bought. Just about done for poor old Jerry. What? What could twelve good men and true possibly say to that? Quite, my lord. After retiring for ten minutes, the jury returned a verdict of willful murder against Gerald, Duke of Denver. If I may say so, my lord, I fancy the investigation will prove very interesting. Well, from a criminological point of view, I dare say. Poor old Gerald. How long will it take us to get there, Bunter? 
We should arrive at Riddlesdale on Sunday morning, my lord. Well, I hope Parker will have kept the house guests from leaving until our arrival. for breakfast, I say. Personally, I like fish. Good for the old memory, what? Where are the ladies, Mr. Parker? Lady Mary's in her bedroom, resting. The others have gone to church. Won't they get stared at, what? The Duchess thought it didn't matter. What about you, Parker? Aren't you Scotland Yard people, church gears? Some of us are, when we're not on duty. I expect your careless murder up in no time, what? Well, I'll do my best. And besides, I'm, I'll probably have some help on the job. <laughs> The, uh, the young lad who was in court with you? Uh, no, no, he's gone back to London. I'm hoping for Her Grace's brother-in-law. Not old Peter, surely. Whimsy would be one of the finest detectives in England if he wasn't lazy. He's a rummy old bird. Mm. Ought to be here, what? If anything happens to old Denver, he's head of the family, ain't he? Until little pickled gherkins comes of age. Oh, what's that? Morning, dear old things. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are we all? Peter, my dear old bean. No, don't trouble to get up, Freddy. I'd simply hate to inconvenience you. I'm bloated. Well, mate, got pedigree Robinson. You know, you won me half a crown since last September year. What <laughs> nonsense, Charles, old man, what a damn reliable old bird you are. Always on the spot like that patent ointment thing, what? <laughs> How did you get here so quickly? Aeroplane. Oh. The Victoria from Paris to Croydon, northeastern to Northallerton, Damn bad rose the rest of the way and a puncture just below Riddlesdale. Damn bad bed of the Lord in glory, too. However, I thought I'd blow in here for the last sausage if I was lucky. There aren't any. What? Sunday morning in an English family and no sausages. God bless my soul, what is the world coming to? Well, there is some curry. Oh, thanks for that. Here, I say you needn't be so stingy about it. I've been travelling for three days on end. Look, Freddy, pass the toast, would you, lad? How is Corsica? Perfectly amazing. All black-eyed fellows with knives in their belts and jolly fine-looking girls. Aye, Jove, I'm hungry. Well, old Gerald's been have gone and done it this time, what? It's a pity you didn't arrive in time to see him. Yes, well, that's all right. I'll look him up in quad. I'm sorry for poor old Mary there. How is she? Uh, she's not to be disturbed, so Helen says. Yeah, well, she'll keep. Today, Parker and I hold high revels. He shows me all the bloody footprints. I say. That's all right, Pettigrew. That ain't swearing. That's an adjective of quality. I hope they aren't all washed away, by the way. No, I've got most of them under flower pots. Ah, then pass me the bread and squish and tell me all about it. In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, the Duke of Denver, James Villiers. Lady Mary Whimsey, Mariah Aitken, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Freddie Arbuthnot, Nigel Lambert. The Coroner, James Thomason, Pettigrew Robinson and Craigs, Bill Wallace, Cooper and Hardraw, Sean Arnold, Miss Cathcart, Betty Cardno. The Riddlesdale Inquest was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett.
Peter Wimsey. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Levin. Episode 2, Mudstains and Bloodstains. Lord Peter Wimsey's brother, the Duke of Denver, stands accused of murder following the death by shooting of Captain Dennis Cathcart, Lady Mary Wimsey's fiancé. Lord Peter has rushed over from Paris to join the family, the house guests, and his friend Inspector Parker at Riddlesdale Lodge in Yorkshire, the scene of the crime. More coffee, Peter? Oh, thank you, Charles. Nothing quite like an English breakfast after a fatiguing journey, what? Ah, uh, not too much milk. Is that right? Ah, it's perfect. Yeah, Freddie, you seem quiet. I'm thinking. That's unusual. But don't start bragging me, please. <laughs> if you've seen the papers... Yes, I read all about the inquest. That's why I left Paris in such indecent haste. What do you make of it? Not Paris? No, the inquest, of course, and Jerry being in jail. Well, frankly, I think you mucked it up between you. The coroner took an awful lot of liberties. I'm afraid that was partly my fault. Well, how's that, Charles? Well, the local inspector resented the superintendent getting in touch with the yard over his head. Ah. By the time I turned up on Friday, the inspector and the coroner were already as thick as thieves, fixed the inquest for that morning, produced their blessed evidence as dramatically as possible, all before I could do a thing. Oh, irritating. But the worst aspect of it was the way they tramped around that garden and destroyed most of the evidence. Well, what about the medical evidence? They couldn't spoil that, I take it. Oh, that was all right as far as it went. Cathcart was shot through the lungs. And he didn't shoot himself. You sound pretty sure about that, Freddie. I didn't say anything at the inquest because I didn't want to upset old Denver's story. But between you and me, all that stuff about Cathcart being upset and go to blazes in his manner was all my whiskers. How do you know that? Why, my dear man, Cathcart and I toddled up to bed together. And I was feeling fed up, having dropped a lot on some mining shares, besides missing everything I'd shot at in the morning. I said something to Cathcart about the world being a damn fool place. I can see him now. He stopped on his tracks on the stairs. Actually, he said, it's a damn good place, and I'm going to ask you to fix the date of the wedding tomorrow. And then we'll go and live in Paris, where they understand. Understand what? Well, he actually mentioned the word. What word? Sex. <laughs> and he marched off to bed, whistling. Uh, Embarrassed, most likely. Not a bit of it. Cocky. Uh, brought up abroad in the county of the fellow's temperament. Well, we're here saving the Jew, and Mr. Parker will find out something about it. We can't have old Denver cooped up in prison with the birds so good this year. I expect you'll want to make a tour of inspection, Mr. Parker. Billiards, Freddy. Yeah, I'm not on form, Pettigrew Robinson. Well, I'll give you a hundred. Done. See you later, Peter. Yes, yeah, too long. I've been thoroughly thrashed for my generosity. <laughs> well, I'm glad you came, Charles. Ah, thanks, Peter. Well, where do we start? Well, assuming that Cathcart was in a happy frame of mind when he went to bed, mm -hmm. I think we should start in his bedroom. Oh, right. It's only fair to tell you, Olair, that I'm setting off with the assumption that my brother didn't do it. I'm sure he didn't. No, 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 no. Now, look here. It's your job to pour cold water and to doubt all my conclusions. I'll do my best. Here we are. Mm -hmm. Ah, 
trifle spartan. Everything's just as it was. Drake's had that much sense. According to your brother, Peter, when he charged Cathcart with cheating at cards, he jumped up, nearly knocking the table over, and that would be the table up. Yes. So Cathcart was sitting here. He pushed the chair back violently and rumpled a carpet. Yes, here we are. So what was he doing? It wasn't reading. There's no book about writing, do you think? No, nothing here but a virgin sheet of blotting paper. He might have written in pencil. Yes, true, well, Kiljoy, so he might. Well, if he did, he shoved the paper into his pocket when Gerald came in because it ain't here. But he didn't do that because it wasn't found on his body, so he wasn't writing. Of course, he might have thrown the paper somewhere outside. I haven't been all over the grounds. How long was he down there? Well, if we accept the gamekeeper's evidence that the shot he heard was the shot at 11.50, well, then Cathcart had... An hour and a half to dispose of any note he might have been writing. Very well. Let's say that there is nothing to show he was writing. Hmm. Will that do? <laughs> you sure this room hasn't been touched? Yes, yeah, certain. Then he wasn't smoking. Are you, you positive? Well, he wasn't smoking a cigarette. I wish we'd find some traces somewhere. But a cigar. Well, he might have smoked a cigar without leaving a sign, I suppose. I hope he didn't. Why? Because, old son, I would rather Gerald's account had some element of truth in it. A nervy man doesn't sit down to the delicate enjoyment of the cigar before bed. But if Freddy had the right idea and Cathcart was feeling pleased with life, then it is just the sort of thing that he would do. It doesn't seem likely that Mr. Arbuthnot would have made up that story. Oh, you're right, old Pargabert. Not imaginative enough, for one thing. Then the Duke's version was true. Well, Gerald certainly hasn't the wish to make up his version, either. Yes, but if you can allow, uh, for the moment, that uh, he did shoot Cathcart, then he had a strong incentive to invent it. All right, Charles. I asked you to pour cold water, and you're doing very well. Right, now then. Cathcart sat here in a brown study. Ah, so your brother said. Now, don't overdo it, Charles. Let's have a look at the dressing table. Yes, a nice tortoiseshell toilet set. Mm. Sent his baisse du soir. Oh, I say, very fetching. New to me. I must draw Bunter's attention to it. Manicure set, too. Oh, he's a meticulous sort of chap. You know, I never quite understood Mary taking up with him. Then I never quite understood Mary. You remember, she got caught up with some pacifist waller. Rather deuced irritating. Particularly with the war on. Let her down badly. Presumably, her taste in men underwent a change. What about his papers? No, not much here. Mm -hmm. I think all his important papers are in Paris. He has a flat there. Didn't he have a place in London? Yes, huh? room in Albany. I've telephoned them to lock it until we get there. No letters? No, not a line. Built-in instinct for self-preservation. Mm. Books. Let's have a look. South Wind. <laughs> Our young friend works out very true to type. <laughs> Manon Lesko. Anything else I ought to look at? I don't think so. No, I've gone through everything. Uh, where then? Well, let's go downstairs. Tell me, who occupies the other rooms? Well, that's uh, your brother's bedroom, cleaned and dusted and generally ruined for the purposes of investigation. When the Duchess arrived, I couldn't very well keep her out of her own no, bedroom. No, no, of course not. I wonder where he put that letter from Freeborn. Oh, no one's got a word out of him about that. 
Stands to reason, having accused Cathcart of being a rascal, he'd have held on to the evidence. Uh, unless, of course, the letter referred to some entanglement your brother had had uh, years ago, something he'd prefer the Duchess not to... Uh... I say, now, that's an idea. Mm. Yeah, there were occasions, uh, <laughs> mild ones, I grant you, but Helen would make the most of them. Still, when it comes to the gallows... Yes, do you think he realises, uh, imaginatively, that it's possible to hang an English peer for murder on circumstantial evidence? Imagination ain't Gerald's strong point. Mm. I suppose they do hang peers. I mean, they can't behead them on Tower Hill or anything. Well, they hanged the Earl of Ferrers in 1760, yeah. and he was dissected and anatomized afterwards. That part of the treatment's obsolete. <laughs> well, we'll tell Gerald about it and perhaps persuade him to take the matter seriously. Mm. Do you know what he wore on Wednesday night? Yeah, heavy boots, uh, but he had them cleaned, and he wore leggings as well. Rather an elaborate precaution for a stroll in the garden, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the way through the conservatory. Mm -hmm. Flowers look healthy enough. Gardener been into autumn? Yes, Peter, but I think he kept on the mats. I gave him strict instructions. Mm -hmm. Oh, here you are now. I've managed to identify most of the footmarks. Uh, now, these are the Dukes. Yes. I see the gravel's discoloured. Blood, eh? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Now, here, he trips over the body, and here's where he kneeled. Those two knee marks. Yeah. And then he went up to the house. He left fairly good impressions in black mud just inside the door. Well, that supports old Gerald's story so far. Hardy didn't mention the elephants. What elephant? The one that trampled down this box border. Oh, one of Craig's constables, 18 stone. Oh, and uh, this rubber sole with a patch on it, that's Craig's himself everywhere. Now this, this one I take to be Lady Mary's. Uh, very probably. Strong walking shoes. Yeah, and here they are again, mm -hmm. going back to the conservatory. Yes, well, they're clear enough. Hello. Who put what down here? Where? Between the cacti. Is it a footprint? Oh, we're in trouble if it is. Oh, why? Because it's damn near a yard long. Is it a bar or something like that? My private opinion is that it was a suitcase. Well, why a suitcase? Why, indeed. But it is just possible somebody might have shoved it here if they were caught with it, say, at three o'clock in the morning and didn't want to be seen. Hmm. And when would they have taken it away? Almost immediately. Or even the Neanderthal Crakes could hardly have failed to notice it. You think someone tried to hide it temporarily? Yes. Gerald or Cathcart? Or possibly Mary? What about a person unknown? Who's he? Uh, come out here. Mm -hmm. I've been waiting to show you these footprints... I preserved them under this coconut matting. Ah, ah, what do you think of those? Oh, well done, Charles. They belong to nobody, to nobody I've seen or heard of. Hooray! Then downward from the steep hill's edge they tracked the footmarks small. Only they're largish. Boot size number ten, I'd say. Traced the same footprints into the shrubbery and to where they came out into the wood. Good, good, good. But at the moment, I'm more interested in where they came from. 
Out here, the gravel's too hard to show anything. Well, there's a lot of blood and traces of dragging. Mm. Pebbles displaced and blood smears. Why did the person unknown insist on dragging a corpse that wasn't quite dead towards the house? I don't know. Well, that's what he did. Now, give me a hand with this to unfold it. Uh-huh. This is where they found the handkerchief and the revolver. The rain's messed it all up. Yeah, blood's still visible. Yes, a lot of it, too. Well, let's get down and look at it with the aid of my glass, shall we? Yes. Yes, Cathcart presumably paced up and down. May have been waiting for somebody. Hmm? Ah, here's that number ten boot again. But no sign of a struggle. Now, why did he stand still and wait to be shot at? Well... If he had an appointment with uh, number 10 Boots, it was someone who could get close to him without arousing any suspicion. Mm. So the interview was a friendly one on Kafka's side, anyhow. Mm. What about the revolver? Now, how did number 10 get hold of Gerald's revolver? Conservatory door was open. If somebody came here with the idea of doing old Kafka in, why didn't he bring a weapon with him? Why rely on getting one out of the house? It does seem more probable that Cathcart brought the revolver and shot himself. Then why did number 10 drag him into a conspicuous position and then run away? Look, wait a minute, Peter. Suppose we begin by tracing where number 10 came from. Hello, hello, hello. Look, something here. By Jove, here is real treasure trove. Where? Oh, see? Sit it under this leaf as though it were waiting for us. Oh, it's a brooch, isn't it? No, no, no. It hasn't got a clasp. No, it's one of those charms girls hang on bracelets. It's a lucky pussycat. <laughs> lucky for who? That is for us to find out, Charles. Those emerald eyes look quite genuine. They are. And the rest of the stones are diamonds. It's valuable, then. Not cheap. Of course, we don't know that the cat's the criminal's property. It may belong to a member of your own family or the last tenant, even. Well, I lost the family. And in the village, too. They pack of stones, all right. This ain't the sort of article anybody would lose without making a bit of a fuss about it. This broken branch looks like number ten again. Yes. Yes. I've lost him again. Uh, it's all right. I've got him. Look, he grabbed that branch to steady himself, and he tripped over this route. Right. <laughs> Serves him right, too. Hello. Uh, and there are the palings. Yep. This is where he had to climb into the park. Yes, here you are. Well, give me a hand up, okay, Abadou. Huh? Oh, your back would be better. Bend down. All right. That's the idea. Oh, That's it. Not, hurt. over. Not hurting you, am I? No. Uh, not much. No, he tore his coat on the way over. There's a thread of Burberry left here to prove it. And there is a deep, damp ditch on the other side, which I shall now proceed to fall into. Oh. All right. Yes, perfect landing. Why don't you come over? Because I'm not so constructed that I can bend over and climb onto my own back. There's a gate a few yards down to the right. It's a gamekeeper's lodge. They will nip round there and join me in this fascinating ditch. There's somebody at the door. You might ask them if they saw anyone on Wednesday night. All right. But be careful. Don't go and break a leg. Ah, oh, this is Hardraw, isn't it? Uh, hi. Morning, sir. Good morning. We're just having a look round for anything which might help to solve the mystery of Wednesday night. My husband's at church. Ah. Well... Um, did you find any signs of poachers on Wednesday night? No, sir. Not so much as a dead rabbit. <laughs> this gate's locked at night, I suppose. All right. Anyone as wants to come in has to knock us up first. And no one did on Wednesday? Uh, never a one. Mm. 
Any suspicious characters hanging about? Nay. Well, as keeps a lookout for tramps and such as it be such a lonely place. Uh. But uh, Wednesday, I saw none but a young man with motorbike and sidecar. Uh. What time was that? Oh, I reckon it was about noon. He said he had a puncture and asked for a bucket of water. Did he say where he was going? Aye, uh, Cumberland. Uh, how long was he here? Oh, half an hour. Then I, I watched him trying to get his machine started and I'll pop it in towards King's Fenton. Yeah. What sort of a man was he? Oh, I don't rightly know. Well, was he young? Oh, wasn't old. Tall? No, I wouldn't say as how he was tall. Uh, short, then? No, no, wasn't short. Medium height? I never noticed how medium he was. What was he wearing? Raincoat. Ah, with a belt? I don't remember no belt. Uh-huh, no belt. Uh, but I wouldn't swear he didn't have one. I see. Uh, possibly wearing a raincoat with or without a belt. Aye, that'd be more like it. With or without a belt. One last question, Mrs. Hardrow. Was he a gentleman? Oh, well, not quite, quite. Ah. Come on, Charles. Don't take all day. Is that his lordship in day? Yes, yes. I'd, I'd better go and give him a hand. <laughs> Thank you very much. Excuse me. Come on, Charles. This really is the most beautiful ditch. Coming. From such a ditch as this, when the soft wind did gently kiss the trees, and they did make no noise, from such a ditch our friend, methinks, mounted the Trojan walls and wiped his soles upon the greasy mud. Yeah, there you are, Charles. Say, just look at my bags. Yes, and look at the wall. Number 10 must have been a very tall man. Yes, I know. No end of a climb from this side. Suppose he might have had a friend. Give him a hand or a, a back. Ah, uh-huh. only one set of footprints. Yes. So, we know he went in. And since he ain't in there still, we can assume that he came out again. But somewhere else. True. So let's walk around the perimeter and see if we can find the spot he exited from. Right. While we do that, I can tell you what I gleaned from Mrs. Hardwall. Gamekeeper's wife. She told me that on Wednesday, a man with a motorbike and a sidecar... Well done, Charles. Here are the tracks of the motorcycle. Good. Look, they come right off the road, and then they go back onto the road again down the... Can you see what I see? Charles! It looks like a raincoat belt. A Burberry... So he had an idea where the motorcycle was and made a beeline for it when he needed to get away in a hurry. Yes. I think we've done quite well. Yes. Yes, things begin to look a lot more comfortable for old Jerry. I wonder what damn silly fool invented Sunday afternoon. Now, don't you start grumbling, Freddy. Think how dull old Jerry must feel in clink. Mm, probably playing draft with the warder. Where's your policeman friend, Peter? He's gone back to London. I never heard him go. Uh-huh. Well, why don't you take Pettigrew Robinson down to the billiard room? I can't wake him up. Pettigrew Robinson, pass the chocolate biscuits. Huh? Oh. Oh, here you are. Out again like a light. Fantastic gift, there. Where would you go in this place, Freddy, if you wanted to write a letter? I had no idea. Never write them. Encourages people to write back. Before you know where you are, you're in correspondence. Where did Gerald write his letters? Well, in here, I think. Uh-huh. 
And I saw Pettigrew Robinson writing a letter the other day. Weren't you, Pettigrew Robinson? Yes. <laughs> you see that? He's passing the chocolate biscuits again. Well, oh, don't disturb him. You were quite right, you know. Yes, he did write a letter at this table. You sure? See this blotting paper? There you are. There's yeah. Jerry's signature. Also, a big, sprawling hand, which I would judge to be feminine. What are you going to do with it? Hmm? Uh, no plans, actually. I'll just pop it into my pocketbook and forget it. Think I'll drop Jerry a line. Might cheer the old blighter up. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give him my kindest. Uh, any message, Pettigrew Robinson? Oh, I don't know how you spell that. <laughs> Tea so early. Oh, I hope you don't mind, Helen, only uh, felt a bit peckish. Have a chocolate biscuit. <laughs> Ring for Fleming, Peter. Oh, yes, sorry, old thing. Just writing a few lines to cheer your loving husband. Any messages? I have already written, thank you, Peter. Have you had tea? Ah, uh, no, not yet. Waiting for you, actually, Helen. It's stone cold. Fresh tea, Fleming. Very good, Your Grace. Uh, no, half a dear, Fleming. I'd like to see a copy of the local paper, please. They don't give a very good report of the inquest, my lord. No, I don't want it for that or that. Just to get a picture of what's going on in the district, don't you? Oh, very little, my lord, if you'll excuse me. Do you read newspapers, Fleming? Oh, I do, Your Grace. The uh, front page features the discovery of an old motorbike in a duck pond. Motorbike, did you say? With a sidecar? Oh, why, yes, I believe he'd had a sidecar, my lord. Send Bunter to me, would you? And ask him to bring the newspaper along. That's good, lady. Very good, my lord. Oh, and order a car for me, too, would you please? Yes, my lord. And the tea, Fleming. Your grace. Mary coming down to join us? No. I'm worried. She seems to be giving way to her nerves. It's so unlike her. She's usually so plucky. But she won't let anyone come near her. I sent for Dr. Thorpe again. You sent for me, your lordship? Uh, yes, Bunter. Um, would you excuse me, Helen? Uh, certainly. Who got the paper? Here it is, on the front page. Ah, yes. Aha! A Douglas motorcycle with sidecar. Submerged for several days. No number plate. Bunter, I am going into Ripley. Does your lordship require me? No, thank you, Bunter, no. But who's been lady's maid in my sister? Ellen, my lord, the housemaid. Then I wish you to exercise your powers of conversation on Ellen. Very good, my lord. such a lot of work to do, Mr. Bunter. Don't worry about it, Helen. No one is going to be after you for spending a few minutes talking to me. You haven't got to put up with her tantrums like I have. I never know what she's going to do next. Lady Mary, tantrums, eh? Pretending mm. she's got such a bad headache, she couldn't let me into the room to pick up her clothes for cleaning. Then as soon as I get away, out of bed and all over the place. Well, excuse me, Mr. Bunter, if I go on with my work, I must try and clean this skirt for her ladyship. <laughs> Benzene. Yeah, can't you smell it? Would you mind not applying it for a moment? But I want to get the stain off the skirt. Of course, but leave it there for a moment. That skirt has a story to tell. Get away! 
Oh, yes, to the analytical mind, it has a lot to say. This stain here on the hem might point to a person's guilt. No. But on examination, his lordship and I might jointly establish that it is merely the blood of a shot rabbit, and therefore the suspect is innocent. Yes, well, you'd be wrong there, Mr. Bonter. Mm -hmm. It's the blood of a bird. Indeed. Then I think I'll snip a tiny bit of the material off just here and add it to my collection. What species of bird, I wonder? Oh, pheasant, I reckon. Mm. Is it all right for me to clean the stain off now? Carry on. Lady Mary is lucky to have someone like you to take such care of her. I wish she mm. thought so. You've never heard such a show of hysterics as when I went into her room to get her clothes. But I suppose you made allowances for her being in a state of shock. State of shock? Oh, I suppose it's very nice to be a ladyship and have your temper called a state of shock. I'd be ashamed to carry on, so... Mind you, and you mustn't let this go any further. Of course not. I suppose it doesn't matter now, since the captain's dead. What is it that doesn't matter? She didn't appreciate him. I said so to Cook at the time. I think she wanted to get married, to get away from home as much as anything. I mean, she never could get on with his grace. Quarrelled a lot, did they? He didn't like the sort of people she took up with. Mm. She had a wild time during the war. Nursing officers. <laughs> Cook said she had some sort of love affair with a Russian. Military man? Well, not according to Cook. A political person to do with bombs. Wanted to blow us all up and make us into slaves. And what happened to him? Well, his grace made a fuss and stopped supplies. So she had to come home then. And ever since she's been as bad-tempered and just raring to be off again. Don't think she minded who with, so long as she could get away. Oh, dear. This is hard work. My arm feels like it's dropping off. If you'd allow me to give you a hand. Oh, thanks, Mr. Bunter. If you can provide me with a stiff brush, I'll try and get some of the other mud off with my knife. That's the ticket. It's coming off all right, isn't it? Yes. Notice there are two different kinds. Oh. This gravelly mud is quite different from the silver sand at the hem. I happen to have some little boxes here, and I'll put a sample of each kind of mud in them. Do you collect mud like you collect blood? I dare say if I took enough samples from this skirt, his lordship and I could give you a complete history of the wearer's movements during the past week. Oh, since it was cleaned last, you mean? That's right. Oh. Hello. Here's something on the other side. Apparently, Lady Mary tried to remove this stain with soap. Well, I never. So she has. And her making out she's too tired to raise her head from pillar. Oh, she's a sly one, I tell you. A real sly one. In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Freddie Arbuthnot, Nigel Lambert, Pettigrew Robinson and Fleming, Bill Wallace, the Duchess of Denver, Betty Cardno, Mrs. Hardraw and Ellen, Miriam Margulies. Mudstains and Bloodstains was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett.
Peter Winsey. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Levin. Episode 3, The Diamond Cat. Lord Peter Whimsey is at Riddlesdale Lodge in Yorkshire, investigating the death of Captain Dennis Cathcart, the fiancé of his sister, Lady Mary. Their brother, the Duke of Denver, stands accused of Cathcart's murder, and the family barrister, Sir M.P. Biggs, has arrived in Yorkshire to discuss the case. Now then, Wimsey, if I'm to defend Denver, I want you to tell me all you know. Do you, though? Then I will. I have just returned from a pointless interview with the superintendent of Ripley, whose men were about to drag ponds looking for number plates which were missing from the motorcycle. Bunter may have a few scraps of information gleaned from the housemaid who looked after Mary's clothes... Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. Oh. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> looked as though you were. I always like to stand up to ask questions. Oh, right here. Oh, fire away. Uh, but try and remember that I am not in the witness box. Uh, do you think the police really will find your mystery man? I think they'll do their best. And what do you think is going to happen to my case if you do find him? I don't follow you. I see here, Wimsy, my hands are tied already. Has it ever occurred to you that perhaps he'd better not be found? Not be found? Remember this. Once the police get hold of a thing or person, it's no use relying on anybody's professional discretion. Everything is raked out into the light of common day. Very common it is. Here's Denver, accused of murder, and he refuses in the most categorical way to give me the smallest assistance. Jerry is an ass, always has been. Look, he doesn't realise... I've made it my business to try and make him realise. All he says is, they can't hang me. I didn't kill the man, though I happen to think it's a good thing he's dead. Well, that sort of remark won't help him. And he says it's no business of theirs what I was doing in the garden. Now, I ask you, Wimsy, is that a reasonable attitude? Not for someone in his position. Hmm. Did anybody mention this mystery man to him? No. And that Scotland Yard man is your personal friend, is he not? Parker, yes. Mm, so much the better. He can hold his tongue. Now, look here, Biggs. Can you tell me in simple words why I shouldn't lay my hands on the beggar if I can? Well, I'll answer that question by asking another. Why is Denver screening him? By Jove, I never thought of that. Oh, <laughs> what sluice you lawyers are. Of course. Yeah, well, I'd better be careful, hadn't I? Mm, you're a clever devil, Wimsy. Find your man by all means. But there's just one thing I'd like to ask. Whom are you screening? Now, look here, Biggs. You're not being paid to ask that kind of question here. You can jolly well wait until you get into court. However, just to oblige you, I will say plainly that I don't know who did away with old Cathcart. Furthermore, when I do know, I will tell you. You will? Certainly. But not until I am sure. You people can make such a little circumstantial evidence go such a damn long way, you might hang me while I was only in the early stages of suspecting myself. Mm. Meanwhile, I tell you candidly, I'm taking the line that they can't make out a case. 
Not proven, eh? Well, anyhow, Biggs, I swear my brother won't hang for lack of evidence. Good morning, my lord. Morning, Bunter. What's the time? Shortly before nine, my lord. I would have brought the coffee earlier if I'd known you were awake. Ah. Hmm. Your cafe au lait just about makes this place tolerable. Thank you, my lord. Did you post off those specimens you took from Lady Mary's skirt? I did, my lord, last night. The analyst should be starting on them first thing this morning. Did the maid return the skirt to Lady Mary? Yes, my lord. And? I haven't seen her since, my lord. Well, I haven't spoken to my sister ever since I've been here. And she's not likely to feel any better so long as she stays cooped up in her room. I believe her grace tried to persuade her ladyship to go to the police court this morning with the rest of the party. Have they left already? Yes, my lord. They made an early start. Any remarks about my defection? I got a distinct impression that the general view was that family solidarity should be preserved. The police court's only a formality. It doesn't achieve anything. We have got to get hold of some facts, Bunter. Cold, hard facts. Yes, my lord. When I was a small boy, I hated them. Thought of them as nasty, hard things, like knobs. Uncompromising. Yes, my lord. My old mother always used to Your say mother, when... Your mother, Bunter? I didn't know you had one. I always imagined that you were turned out ready-made, so to speak. Oh, excuse me. Infernally rude of me. Beg pardon, I'm sure. Not at all, my lord. My mother lives in Kent, my lord, near Maidstone. Seventy-five, my lord, and an extremely active woman for her years, if you'll excuse my mentioning it. I was one of seven. Now, that is pure invention, Bunter. I know better. You are unique. But I interrupted you. You were going to tell me something about your mother. She always says, my lord, that facts are like cows. If you look them in the face long enough, they generally go away. She's a woman of considerable courage, my lord. <laughs> well, she, she's quite right, Bunter. Shall I run your lordship's bar? Uh, yes, a fairly cold one, Bunter. Something to stimulate the circulation. I need a very clear head. I'll bear that in mind, my lord. Ah, Fleming is here, my lord. Oh, what are you doing there, Fleming? I've uh, brought your lordship's letters. Yeah, then bring them in, man. Bring them in, bring them in. All right, Bunter, prepare my bath, would you? Yes, my lord. When were these delivered, Fleming? A few moments ago, my lord. I see. All right, Fleming, that'll be all. Thank you, my lord. Hmm. I attempt from love sickness to fly in vain. Ah, good old Parker Bird. I wonder what luck he's had in London. My dear Whimsy, I've had a rotten time in town. The unfortunate Cathcart was a model of discretion. His room in Albany is a desert from a detecting point of view. No papers, except a few bills and receipts and invitations, mostly from men... Poker seems to have been his great game, but no suggestions of anything crooked. He won pretty consistently, but never spectacularly. I think the information we want must be in Paris. I've written to the Surete and the Credit Lyonnais to produce papers, especially his accounts. 
Should they be slow in responding, I suggest one of us may run over to Paris and give them a little encouragement. Cathcart's books here consist of a few modern French novels of the usual kind and another copy of Manon Lescaut with what the catalogues call curious plates. He must have had a life somewhere, mustn't he? I drew quite a blank at King's Fenton on Sunday. I don't think the fellow with a motorbike ever went there. I wonder if he slunk off up to the moor. Is it worth rummaging about there, do you think? It's odd about that diamond cat. It doesn't seem to fit number ten, and yet you'd think somebody at the lodge or the village would have heard about it if it had been lost. Well, so long. Yours ever, Charles Parker. Hmm. Uh, not much. Oh, damn. Bunter? Oh, yes, my lord? I have spilt your excellent café au lait all over the damn sheet. I'll attend to it immediately, my lord. Oh, Do you know where the linen room is? Nothing quite so grand, my lord. I believe the sheets are kept in the chest on the landing. If your lordship would care to use the bathroom now... Uh... Uh, yes, I will. Uh, is that the chest? Look here, hold this sheet a second, Bunter, would you? I want to have a closer look at this chest... Hmm. Bunter, what type of sand was that you found on my sister's skirt? Partly mud, my lord, and partly silver sand. Silver sand? Are you sure? Yes, my lord. <whistles> what on earth are you doing there, Peter? Oh, hello, Mary. I, um... Yeah, Bunter and I were trying to find some clean sheets. I've just spilt coffee all over mine. <laughs> yeah, make some more, Bunter, would you? Very good, my lord. Well, where have you been hiding, Polly, old thing? Maybe you've been having a pretty thin time with him, Joe. Well, come in here and sit down. No, no, don't, Peter. Of course, I'm pleased you're here. It's just that I can't stand any more of this. I, well, I... what's up, old girl? Look here, Mary, we've never really seen enough of each other, but I am your brother. Are you in trouble? Trouble? Oh, silly old Peter. Of course I'm in trouble. They've killed my man and, and they've put my brother in prison. Isn't that enough? You'd better toddle back here. You're getting all cold. Why do girls wear such mimsy little pie jim jams in this damn cold climate, eh? Oh, I'm sorry, Peter. Truly. I came out because you made such a noise. Uh, yes, I did, didn't I? Now, look, you get back to bed and don't worry. I'll drop in on you later and we'll have a jolly old powwow, what? They're trying Gerald today, aren't they? Oh, it's not a trial, just a formality. The jolly old magistrate bird hears the charge read out and the family solicitor says old Gerald reserves his defence, that's all. It's all the assizes. We'll have to buck up and be fit by then. I couldn't go through all that again. I should be sicker. I'm feeling awful. No, don't come into my room. I, I don't want you to. Look, let me tuck you in. No, Peter, I don't want anyone. Ring the bell for Ellen. N no, let me go. Look, Mary. Let me go, I say. Look, Mary. Ma Better not, my lord. Only produce hysterics. Better to wait for the return of the Dowager Duchess. That's quite right, Bunter. It was silver sand you said that you found on that skirt, wasn't it, Bunter? That is correct, my lord. 
Hmm. Um, do you know the name of that farmhouse behind the, um, you know, that vile swamp? Grider's Hole, my lord. Ah. I told Parker I'd search the neighbourhood, so I might as well make a start. In that case, my lord, I will lay out the Norfolk suit and heavy brogues. Yes, Bunter. And a Burberry coat. Very good, my lord. Good day to you. Chilly, ain't it? Mm. Seasonable, though. Good for the sheep, I dare say. Makes their wool curl and so on, what? Do you lose many animals in that swamp? Must be a bit dangerous in the dark if you're thinking of taking an evening stroll, what? <laughs> See this stick? Oh, yes, rather. Watch what'll happen to it. Good Lord. Well, it's gone. Well, it looks so light. Has this, uh, has this swamp got a name? Aye. Peter's Pot. What does I want? Well, I thought of paying a little, uh, friendly call on the owner of the farm, don't you know? Who lives here, by the way? Mr. Grimethorpe. Does he now? Ah, that's the fellow I want to see. And you, I take it, are his right-hand man. You leap from bed before the break of day to milk the kind among the scented hay. You, when the shades of evening gather deep, home from the mountain lead the mild-eyed sheep. Uh. Well, it's been awfully nice chatting to you, but I, uh, I must press on. I take it I shall find Mr. Grindthorpe in the house. Uh. Oh, thanks most awfully. Mister? Yes, old thing? Up and he'll set his dogs under. Who does say? Well, that should be interesting. I'm fascinated to meet a man who sets his dogs on casual visitors. Actually, I'm not selling anything. Who is it? What's your name? Lucy. Well, Lucy, will you tell your daddy that I'm living at Riddlesdale Lodge? Well, of it. Get out of here, Lucy. Oh, good evening to you. Um, may I come in? If you must. Yeah, thanks most awfully. This way? Yeah, thank you. Are you Mr. Grimethorpe? Was if I am? I've no cause to be ashamed of my name. Oh, no, 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 no. Rather not, no. <laughs> Nor your farm, either. Oh, a delightful place. My name is Whimsy, by the way, the Duke of Denver's brother. Just paying a neighbourly call, don't you know? I'm old-fashioned like that. Well, I <clears throat> don't suppose you'll get many strangers passing this way. None. Uh, just as well, probably. Nothing like one's own family when all's said and done. Cozy, you know. You a married man, Mr. Grantorpe? What the hell's that to thee? Oh, nothing, 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 nothing. <laughs> I just thought that that pretty little girl might be yours. I thought she weren't. I'd struggle a bitch. And her mother together. What I've got to say to that? Do you smoke? Nay. Well, to tell you the truth, Mr. Grantorpe, I didn't blow in accidentally. I did have an excuse. 
together. It's so perfectly delightful to meet you. No excuse might appear necessary. But the fact is, I am looking for a young man, an acquaintance of mine, who said he'd be roaming about this area. I suppose you didn't happen to catch a glimpse of him. A tall fellow riding a motorcycle. He was in the neighborhood about a week ago. What day? Uh, Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Andy, wait! The slut! They were in front of the library. I will, I were a Wednesday and Thursday. And I knew that, and, and so did our friend. If I hadn't been at Stubbley, he'd have been at Peter's pot about a cotton. And if I catch thee, sneaking around here again, that's where they'll be, and all. Now, steady on. No, you mustn't twist my collar like that. It will kill a fellow. <laughs> Nasty business, murder. <laughs> Take that hand away. <laughs> now, stand still, you fool. You'll break your arm. <laughs> Better. Very well. Now, sit down. You get into trouble one of these days, behaving like that when you're asked a civil question. Get out, house. Certainly. Sorry you couldn't help me with news of my friend. I've had enough with this. I'm going to get Jabez. If there's only sense in I won't be here when I bring him. You, you, you are mad to come here. He's gone for the dogs. Quick, quick. Madam, I don't quite un... Oh, I thought you... If you don't care for your own life, then go for my sake. He'll kill me. Madam, if you're in fear of what he'll do to you, then let me stay and protect you. You can stay and murder me. Go, go. Perhaps you're right. Savage dogs, were they, my lord? Brutes. And the woman was Mrs. Grimethorpe, I presume. Must have been, Bunter. She was an absolute stunner. Fantastic-looking woman to find a place like that. Married to the unspeakable Grimethorpe. Uh, jealous, was he? To the point of lunacy. But hadn't, so far as we know, seen the gentleman with the motorbike? No, but quite prepared to believe that he'd been there... I must say, if Number 10 did call on her for the purpose suspected, uh, then he had every excuse for it. The lady seems to have made a distinct impression on your lordship. Yeah, you should have seen her, Bunter. I shall hope to, my lord. No, 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 no. You keep away from her. My God, the brute's capable of knocking her down on suspicion. You too, and good valets are hard to find. Very well, my lord. I wonder where she was while I was talking to him. Now, wait a moment. Look, she probably looked out of the window. In the half-light, she sees a chap in an aged Burberry. And number ten is a bloke in an aged Burberry. Right, now, now let us suppose she thought that I was number ten. What does she do? She sensibly keeps out of the way. Then, when Grimethorpe goes for the dog, she rushes in to warn me. Okay, him, number ten. Sounds reasonable, my lord. If I can manage it without danger to life and limb, I must try and see Mrs. Grimethorpe again. Uh, yes, my lord. While you were out, Mr. Parker telephoned. He's decided to go over to Paris to hurry things up. I see. Well, Bunter Irving, I think we had better get back to London, just in case he wants us to nip over to Paris and give him linguistic assistance. <laughs> Charles? Peter! I'm 
Zandi, please, you telephone. I've been round to Cathcart's bank. And uh, although my French is a bit rusty, they were very helpful. Oh, good. Did you find out anything interesting? Well, I'm not sure. Cathcart inherited quite a fortune before the war, most of which had been invested in Germany and Russia. And in 1913, there were some largish withdrawals. Cash? Yes, made payable to self every quarter. And then in 14, crash. Investments in Germany? Yeah, and Russia. Stopped dead. Oh, bad luck. Mm. Any credits from French shares? Well, a few, but they dropped to one quarter. And then? Well, ominous. Several very substantial payments into the account. 20,000 francs, 30,000. A lot of money. Yes. Winnings at cards. But even so, towards the end of the war, he seems to have got desperate again and started gambling on foreign stock exchanges. I'm, I'm going round his apartment at the uh, Rue saint Honoré to have a look. Oh, good. If the concierge proves unhelpful, just say that you are police anglaise. Well, I hope he can speak English. Quel malheur! Je suis désolé. Entrez, monsieur. Pauvre monsieur Cathcart. He was a perfect English gentleman. Quel malheur! Je suis désolé. Yes, well, yes, actually, you said that before. Look, what I'm interested in are his visitors and friends. Uh, did, did you show many people up to his room? Sometimes he had card parties. The gentlemen were always well-dressed in uh, le smoking, you know? And uh, the ladies? No ladies. Never? Uh, only once, uh, when he had a luncheon party for some ladies. Uh, they brought with them his fiancée. What was she like? Jolie blonde, very beautiful. That's Lady Mary Wimsey. Ah, oui. A very good family, no? It's a, quite good, I believe. He was a jeune homme, a très sérieux, and so tidy. Yeah. Like a woman with his toilette. A particular, hmm? With his bath every day. Uh, did he employ a servant? Uh, the cousin of my late wife. She kept his flat clean. Ah. A highly respectable lady. Yeah. Uh, not used to such work. But in these difficult times, uh, you understand? Yes, of course. Respectable to the point of being an enemy of pleasure. Did Mr. Cathcart have any enemies, uh, so far as you know? Enemies? Monsieur Cathcart? No, no. He was a good man. Not many left in England. And in France? We never had them. Uh, thank you, monsieur. Pas de quoi. Je suis désolé. Mayfair 0299, Lord Peter Wimsey's residence. Yes, Bunter, it, it's me calling from Paris. Good evening, sir. Yeah. Uh, my Lord Inspector Parker. Ah, oh, thank you, Bunter. Hello, Parker Bird. How did you get on with the concierge? Well, never mind that. Now, listen, Peter, I've seen a cat. Now, why the deuce do you ring me from Paris to tell me that you've seen a cat? Like the one we found at Riddlesdale. Aha. Where did you see it? In a jeweller's by the uh, Madeleine or something. I was shopping, buying a crepe de chine camisole for my sister in Barrow in Furness. Yeah, uh, I... no, sorry, buying a what for whom? Well, no, no, never mind. I saw this cat in the window, just like the other one. And you asked the jeweller who bought it, I presume. What did he say? Yeah, well, that's the trouble. The shop was shut. I'm going round first thing in the morning, but I thought you'd like to know. Oh, thank you. 
Well, that's good news, though, son. Yes. Keep me informed, whatever happens. I will, Peter. Cheerio. Toodle, Pep. Bunter. Yes, my lord. At last, Bunter, I think we are beginning to get somewhere. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Bonjour, monsieur. Can I help you? Uh, yes. Now, I have here a small cat like the one in your window. Ah. Could you uh, oblige me by telling me the value? Oh, but of course. The price is 5,000 francs. Yeah. They're real diamonds, are they? Certainly, monsieur. But the value is also in the work of the artist. <laughs> you will not find any like this at other jewellers. Yeah. Would you like me to... No, but I don't actually want to buy any more cats. I oh. just want to establish that this one was bought here. No doubt of that, monsieur. Uh, now, would it be possible to find out to whom this cat was sold? Oh, if it was for cash, then it would be difficult. I'm uh, from Scotland Yard. Uh, police Anglaise. Salo. <laughs> yes. Now, I'd like you to look at this photograph. Do you recognize this man? Yes, I remember him well. That is the gentleman who bought the diamond cat for the pretty bone lady. What can you remember about them? Oh, this is not a face one could easily forget, especially if one is a woman. Uh, but I remember now it, it was the lady who bought the mascot. Was it? It seemed unusual for a lady to carry so much money. But the gentleman had already made a purchase, a diamond and tortoiseshell comb for the lady. Uh, that was when she asked me for the mascot good for cards. And then she fell in love with his little cat and insisted on buying one for monsieur. She made him promise to wear it whenever he played. Did he promise? Yes. He laughed very much, but he promised. Yeah. And this, this lady was blonde, you say? Blonde and very pretty. A big hat, très chic. English, she spoke very good French. And when she spoke to the gentleman? French. Uh-huh. Uh, you're quite sure? Yes, monsieur. Uh, can you remember how long ago this was? Uh, early in the year, monsieur. I've got the date in the day book. I think it was in February. Oh, oui, voilà. February 6th. Chat en diamant, 5,000 francs. Is that how the entry the... Daughter shall come. That is correct, monsieur. Oh, dear. Oh, well, that settles it. Monsieur is no content? Oh, yes. Thank you, mademoiselle. Most grateful. You've been extremely helpful. If I appear disappointed, then that's only because I would have preferred to find quite different facts. <laughs> that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, Lady Mary Whimsey, Mariah Aitken, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Sir Impey Biggs, Brian Olton, Grimethorpe and Fleming, Bill Wallace, Mrs. Grimethorpe, Elizabeth Proud, Grimethorpe's servant and the concierge, David Sinclair, Lucy Grimethorpe and the shop assistant, Bonnie Huron. The Diamond Cat was adapted by Peter Jones and Tiny Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett.
Peter Whimsey. Lord Peter Whimsey. Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter, with Patricia Routledge as the Dowager Duchess of Denver. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven. Episode 4, Mary Quite Contrary. Lord Peter Whimsey is investigating the death of Dennis Cathcart, for which his brother, the Duke of Denver, stands accused of murder. His investigations in Yorkshire and those of his friend, Inspector Parker, in Paris, suggest that his sister, Lady Mary Whimsey, who was engaged to Cathcart, did not tell the truth at the inquest on the dead man. Mary is now ill in bed, and their mother, the Dowager Duchess of Denver, has arrived in Yorkshire. You ought to have been there at the Assizes, Peter. I'm sorry, Mother. But so you should be. When Gerald was what the judge called produced in court, his poor little face was so strange. Bound to be. He seemed to look round for the family, and I'm very pleased we were there. Look, Mother, I explained that I didn't attend because I knew it was mere routine. Even so, for Gerald's sake... Look, I was doing other things for Gerald's sake. You were? Of course, Mother. Look, I'll tell you about them later. First of all, I want you to go up and see Mary. Just what I meant to do. But now... Aren't you interested in what's happened? Well, of course, dear, but I already know. They brought in a true bill against Gerald and passed everything over to the House of Lords. Exactly. The judge admitted that he was incompetent. Incompetent, dear, to try a peer. Looked just incompetent to me. Anyway, the Lord Chancellor is to be informed and he will make all the arrangements. He started that days ago. What ridiculous snobs they are. (sighs) I must go up and see Mary. Uh, look, there is something I want you to ask her about. Yes? What is it? Well, so long as you can do it without upsetting her. Oh, don't worry too much about that. Well, I would like to find out more about a... a lucky charm and a tortoiseshell comb I believe Mary and Cathcart bought in Paris. Lucky charm? She gave it to him when they were over there. Quite an expensive mascot with diamonds. It can't have been very effective or he'd still be alive. Leave her to me. Uh, shall I come up with you? No. Dr. Thorpe is coming later on, and I'd rather talk to her on my own. Yes. Yes, all right, dear. Well, I'll be down here, so send for me if you want me. Well, Mary, it's not much use you lying in the dark saying nothing. It would help if Dr. Thorpe could make a diagnosis. But it isn't an illness. It's just strain and worry. Apart from tearfulness, exhaustion and lack of appetite... What are the symptoms? High temperature. Strain and worry shouldn't cause a rise in temperature. A ghastly feeling of nausea. Vomited? Frequently. What does Dr. Thorpe prescribe? Rest. I think he's an old fool. But he's looked after me all my life. He'll be here any minute now. I want to ask you one or two questions. No, Mother, I don't feel well enough. Nonsense. Your brother is charged with murder. You may be able to help. How can I? I'm ill. Not that ill. What about that jewellery you bought in Paris? I can't remember. You were in Paris last February? Yes. Well, then, you and Dennis bought some jewellery. What jewellery? You tell me. He bought me a 
tortoiseshell cone. Ah, oh, sounds like Dr. Thorpe coming. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. What a ridiculous-looking horse. Oh, please don't pull the curtains back. The light hurts my eyes. How much did the cone cost? I don't remember. Did you have the bill? No, it was a present. What else did you buy? Nothing else. Nothing for Dennis? No. A good luck charm? No. Where was the jeweller's? I don't remember. You don't remember? No. My headache's dreadfully. Oh, don't think about it. I, I think I'm going to be sick. There's something you aren't telling me, Mary. I don't doubt that you feel sick and depressed. But you mustn't turn away from the truth and into an unhealthy self-concern. Dr. Thorpe's arrived. Morning, Your Grace. How's our little girl this morning? She's 28, Doctor, and not little. Uh, like me to come in? No. Close the door. You see, I was thinking... I'll call you if I want you. Now then, Doctor. What is wrong with her? Well, she's had a nervous breakdown, a shock. Naturally, she'd want to be alone. But her temperature, Doctor. Yes, I must admit, I'm baffled by the way it goes up and down. And these fits of sickness. Well, nerves can cause that. Nerves? Nerves don't cause fever. Take her temperature now. Yes, I was just about to. Good. Now, Lady Mary, open your mouth, under your tongue. That's it. Been able to eat anything? Mm. Drinking liquids? Mm. In my day, we called this kind of behaviour hysterics and naughtiness. We didn't let gals pull the wool over our eyes. There was never any talk of neurosis or reflexes, or repressions, suppressions, depressions. If you ask me, there's a fairly simple explanation. Is your horse all right out there? Eh? Yes, I think he's perfectly all right. Ah. Doctor? Your Grace? I don't think your horse is all right. Come over here. Is it a very old horse? Well, not very old. May I read the thermometer? You should have a motor car. I'll have a thermometer now. Thank you, my dear. I think you're going to find it's gone up. She doesn't look feverish. My word, you're right. 103.4. Come outside, Doctor. Yes, yes, of course, Your Grace. Peter, what are you doing? Waiting for you, actually. She's bluffing. Her temperature indicates there is something wrong. That's what she's bluffing about. When we went over to the window to look at your horse, I glanced at her reflection in the dressing table mirror. She was applying the thermometer to the hot water bottle. Surely you were mistaken. I were. Then she is faking. Good heavens. I'm not normally taken in so easily. But Mary is, after all, a lady. I've never heard such rubbish. Come along. I want to look in the bathroom. The bathroom? Ah, good idea. You think she's taking something to induce the sickness? I think it's likely. Peter, have a look at the medicine cabinet. Yes, Mother. Uh, now, in bath salts, elements, embrocution, salvolatile, crucian salts. Hello, what's this at the back? Ipecacuana. The family bottle, and it's three quarters empty. Great heavens. That's why she vomits. Well done, Mother. It's easy to see which side of the family has the detective instinct. Ah, 
But, Peter, why should Mary want to make herself ill? That is what I am trying to find out, Charles. And I haven't told you the most unpleasant bit of the lot. What's that? Bunter went round to the analyst in Gower Street this morning and brought me the results. You remember I sent him a stain off one of Mary's skirts? Yes. Well, he has confirmed that the blood is human. And I'm afraid it's Cathcart's. Cathcart? Well, she must have knelt in it. The stain was three or four inches across, according to Bunter. And she won't say anything? I'm afraid not. So let's go over it. Now, Wednesday night, everyone comes in, dines, and goes to bed except Cathcart, who rushes out and stays out. Right. At 11.50, the gamekeeper hears a shot, which may very well have been fired in the clearing, where, well, let us say the accident took place. Now, at 3 a.m., Jerry comes home from, oh, somewhere or other, and finds the body. As he is bending over it, Mary arrives in the most apropos manner from the house, fully dressed in her coat and cap, skirt and walking shoes. Now, what is her story? That she was awakened by a shot at three o'clock. But nobody else heard that shot at three o'clock. There was no shot. Look, I know that, old Parker, but I'm examining the discrepancies in her story. She said that she didn't give the alarm because she thought it was probably poachers. But if it was poachers, it would be absurd to go down and investigate. So she explains that she thought it might have been burglars. Well, that's possible. It could have been burglars. Oh, granted. But how does she dress to go down and look for burglars? Yeah, well, it was a wet night. Oh, my and... dear chap. Look, if it's burglars you're looking for, you don't expect to go and hunt for them round the garden. Anyhow, fancy a present-day girl who rushes about bareheaded in all weathers stopping to put on all her clothes for a burglar hunt. Oh, damn it all, child. It won't wash. They said it was a wet night. So she, she went to the conservatory. Made a beeline for it. Straight to the corpse as if she knew exactly where to look. She sees Gerald stooping over it, and what does she say? Does she ask who it is? No. She exclaims, Oh, God, Gerald, you've killed him. And then she says, as if on second thoughts, Oh, it's Dennis. Now, does that strike you as natural? No. But it suggests to me that it wasn't Cathcart she expected to see, but someone else. Cathcart's death, at any rate, was a surprise for Yes. Yes, now, now, we must remember that. Right. Gerald sends her up for help. She wakes up Freddy and the Pettigrew Robinsons, and then what? She locked herself into her room. Correct. And shortly afterwards, joined the others in the conservatory, wearing a cap and coat and walking shoes, but over pyjamas and bare feet. So you're suggesting that Lady Mary was already awake and dressed at three o'clock and that she went out by the conservatory door with her suitcase, expecting to meet the, the murderer of her... Oh, damn it, Peter. Now, we needn't go as far as that, you know. We decided that she didn't expect to find Cathcart dead. No, no. Well, she went presumably to meet somebody. All right. Well, shall we say... Pro tem, she went to meet number ten. Yes, mm -hmm. and when she saw the Duke stooping over Cathcart, she... Oh, I joke, Peter. When she said you killed him, she meant number ten. She thought it was number ten's body. Of course! Oh, what a fool I am! Then, recollecting that she was not supposed to know who it is, she said, Oh, it's Dennis. Then when she saw that it wasn't the body of number ten, she realized that... The number ten must be the murderer. So her 
Her game was to prevent anybody knowing that number ten had been there. She'd shoved her suitcase behind the cacti, and then when she went upstairs, she pulled it out again and hid it in the oak chest on the landing. Cacti. Silver sand. Exactly. Fits. Then she knocked up the Pettigrew Robinsons. Right. Now, she'd be in the dark. They'd be flustered. They wouldn't notice exactly what she had on. And as soon as she could, she rushed back to her own room and took off the skirt she'd worn when she knelt at Cathcart's side. Then she got into her pyjamas, uh, keeping on the cap, coat and shoes, because that was what people had seen her wearing already. Then she concocted the burglar story for the coroner's benefit. That's about it. Oh, I suppose she was so desperately anxious to throw us off the scent of number ten that it never occurred to her that her story was going to implicate her own brother. But she realised it at the inquest, and that explains why she grasped at the suicide theory. Yes. And when she realised she was simply saving number ten at the possible cost of her brother's life, she lost her head and took to her bed. No, she refuses to give any evidence at all. Ah. Well, it seems to me there's an extra allowance of fools in my family. Anyway, it clears the poor girl. That's the main thing. Now, she isn't the accused, Charles. I want something that will clear Gerald. Telegram, my lord. Ah, thank you, Bunter. Party traced London. Seen Merrily Bone Friday. Further information from Scotland Yard. Police Superintendent Gosling Ripley. Oh, I say good, eh? Now we're getting down to it. Uh, stay here. We'll do there as a good man in case anything turns up. I'll pop round to the yard and see the head man. Uh, Bunter will arrange some dinner for you, won't you, Bunter? Uh, certainly, my lord. Uh, there's a brace of cold pheasants. Well, what about that strawberry flan from Gunter's I left the large piece after lunch? I... Uh... Disposed of it, my lord. Oh, I see, yes. Well, um, well, give him a bottle of the Chateau Margot. It is really rather decent, Charles. I'll see you later. Well, thanks very much, Sir Andrew. I really mustn't take up any more of your time. That's all right, Lord Peter. Here at Scotland Yard, we don't keep normal office hours any more than do the criminals. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been very kind. Good. Well, we'll leave it there for now. The man was undoubtedly seen at Marylebone on the Friday morning, and though we have unfortunately lost him again at the moment, I have no doubt we shall have our hands on him again quite soon. Every confidence, Sir Andrew, as ever. Between us, we ought to be able to dig up something. I'm sure. I'll take you to the door. And if you happen to run across this character yourself, then let us know. I never deny your good fortune, or it may be good judgment, in running across the criminals we may be wanting. Well, I like to think it's judgment, of course, but one always needs a modicum of luck. But believe me, if I do catch him, I shall be round to you in a jiffy. Thanks very much. I hope you're satisfied that we're doing all we can. Uh, can you get a cab? Uh, yes, yes, yes. And thanks again for everything. Taxi? Uh, no, tax? Yeah. Surely it's Lord Peter Wimsey. Uh, oh, good evening. How are you? And how's Mary? Why, it, it's Miss Terrence, isn't it? Oh, how absolutely ripping to see you again. And how is Mary? Uh, well, not too good at the moment, you know. Oh. Naturally, very unhappy about all this murder business. Mm, she must be. I expect you've heard that we're... Uh, what the poor describe as being in trouble. Of course. 
And as a good socialist, I can't help rejoicing when a peer gets embroiled. And I mean, all this medieval ritual of being tried at the House of Lords makes the whole thing so ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, isn't it? But all the same, I'm very fond of Mary, and I can't help wishing it was someone else's brother. You were very good friends, weren't you? Oh, I adored her. <laughs> so, as I say, I'm terribly sorry. And for you, too. I mean, you don't just sit around shooting animals, do you? I mean, you do work uh, at uh, investigating, don't you? I mean, you don't lead a completely useless life. Well, I try not to. Oh, so, I mean, well, that's all right, then. Good. Well, if you can prevail upon yourself to overlook the unfortunate misfortune of my birth and my other deficiencies, perhaps you would honour me by having a spot of dinner with me somewhere. I'd have loved to, loved to, but I promised to be at the club tonight. I mean, there's a meeting at nine, Mr. Coke, the Labour leader, you know. But if you'd like to come along there and dine, I mean, please do. I could smuggle you in. Would you really have to smuggle me? Oh, I think so. I mean, they might want to hang you up on a lamppost or something. Oh, not in England, surely. (laughs) This is an international movement. Oh, well, that's all right, then. May never work here, what? (laughs) I'll be a devil and risk it. I do so want to hear all your news. Yes, why not? I have a guest at my flat, but I'm sure my man has ruffled something up. Cheese? Ooh. The Stilton is at its best this evening. Oh, oh, just a little, then. <laughs> Some celery? Will you excuse me while I answer the door? Oh. It's Lady Mary, Mr. Parker. Lady Mary? What a surprise. Oh, good evening, Mr. Parker. Where's Peter? Oh, Scotland Yard. Uh, well, you should have left by now. Will you take anything, Lady Mary? No. Mr. Parker? No, nothing more, Bunter. I'll bring some coffee later. Your coat, lady? No, no, it's all right, thank you, Bunter. Very well, lady. Can't you find Peter? What? He's doing something dreadful. He's all wrong, you see. I, I must tell him, tell him. Well, uh, oh, did anybody ever get into such trouble? <laughs> I, oh. oh, look, look. No, 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 try to... I, I said, um, well, sit down. No, no, you, you'll be ill if you cry like that. Have a glass of wine. Try and stop crying. You, you are crying, aren't you? I, I mean, this isn't hiccups, is it? Uh, oh. no, I say, Bunter. Here, my lady, uh. sniff this. <coughs> Bunter, how dare you? It's only Dr. McKinsey's smelling salts. Your ladyship had better take a drop of brandy. Yes. This is the 1800 Napoleon brandy, my lady. There. Please don't snort so, if I may make the suggestion. His lordship would be greatly distressed to think that any of it should be wasted. Did your ladyship dine on the way up? No. Most unwise, my lady, to undertake a long journey on a vacant interior. I will take the liberty of sending in an omelette for your ladyship. Perhaps you would like another little snack, sir, as it's getting late? Oh, no, thank you, Bunter. Very good, sir. (coughs) You're better now. Well, look. Is there something on your mind? Yes, there is. It's it's awfully serious. Well, then, if you can honour me with your confidence... Well, I, I don't quite know whether... Well, tell me, how far have you got? What have you discovered? Oh, dear, I'm afraid I can't very well tell you that. I might accidentally do mischief to an innocent person. So there's someone you definitely suspect? Well, indefinitely would be a better word. But look. Please do tell me anything you know. We may be suspecting a totally wrong person. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, well, what do you want to know? Well, you were in Paris last February. Yes. Do you remember going with, with Captain Cathcart to a jeweller's in the Rue de la Paix? 
and buying a tortoiseshell comb and a diamond and platinum cat with emerald eyes. Is that the cat you've been making inquiries about in Riddlestone? Yes. Had you lost it? Or, or was it Captain Cathcart? If I said it was his... I believe you. Was it? No, it, it was mine. When did you lose it? That night. Where? Wherever you found it. In, in the shrubbery. I didn't miss it until later. Why did you deny it was yours? I was afraid. And now? I'm going to speak the truth. I'm glad. I believe that at the inquest there were one or two points you didn't tell the truth about, weren't there? Yes. Oh, please believe me, I'm very sorry indeed to have to ask these questions. But the terrible position in which your brother's placed... In which I placed him. I didn't say that. I do. I helped put him in jail. Well, fortunately, it's time to put it all right. May I go on? Oh, yes. The shot you said you heard at three o'clock, was that true? No. But you did hear a shot? At 11.50. Was that when you hid something behind the plants in the conservatory? I hid nothing there. In the old linen chest on the landing? My skirt. Did you go out to meet Cathcart? Yes. Who was the other man? There we... was no other man. We saw his footmarks all the way up from the shrubbery to the conservatory. He must have been some tramp. I know nothing at all about him. We have proof that he was there. Of what he did, how he escaped. That man in the Burberry, Lady Mary, was the man who shot Cathcart. That's impossible. Why impossible? Because I shot Dennis Cathcart myself. We're in quite good time for dinner. There's a couple of seats over there by the serving hatch. Can you squeeze past? Yes, I think so. Uh, excuse me. What have you done? I'm uh, just trying to get my seat. There you are, comrade. Take my hand and step onto the table. Uh, mind my suit. Oh, I'm so sorry. Now, jump down and into your seat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, united we so far. You like soup? It depends. What kind of soup? Oh, just soupy soup. Lots of bits of things in it. Nourishing and cheap. Good. Well, I'll try anything once. Uh, I'll get it. Yes, of course. In for a penny, as you say. Uh, don't move. I'll be back in a minute. I agree. But did you ever know a sincere emotion express itself in a subordinate clause? Joyce has freed us from the superstition of syntax. Mm. Scenes which make emotional history should ideally be expressed in animal squeak. Ah, D.H. Lawrence formula. We need a new notation. Have you heard Lionel Snoots recite his own verse to the Tom-Tom and the Penny Whistle? No, but it's on my list. Here's the soup. <laughs> you didn't give me the bread, comrade. Yeah. Here's the bread. It's the real thing. Yeah, it certainly looks it. It gives a new meaning to the phrase, man cannot live by bread alone. Millions have to. Ah, yes. I can understand it if one has to. Mary had the right ideas. I mean, worked so hard for the cause. She was secretary to the propaganda branch for six months. Was she now? She was a tremendous help to Mr. Goyles, to say nothing of the nursing during the war. Of course, I don't approve of England's attitude to the war, but Mary certainly Who had... Who is Mr. Goyles? Oh, one of our leading men. Quite young. But the government is really afraid of him. 
I expect he'll be here tonight. He's been lecturing in the north, but I believe he's back now. Uh, look, I say, excuse me, but your, uh, your beads in the soup. Uh, are they? Perhaps they'll flavor it. <laughs> I'm afraid the cooking isn't very good here, but the subscription is so small. I mean... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you. You were telling me about Mr. Goyle. Oh, yes. Everybody thought she was going to marry him, but it seemed to fall through. I mean, she left town. Do you know about it? That was the fellow, was it? Uh, yes, well, my people didn't altogether see it, you know. Though Mr. Goyles wasn't quite the son-in-law they'd take to him. Uh, I wasn't there myself, but, uh, well, that was what I gathered. Mm, another example of the absurd old-fashioned tyranny of parents. I mean, you wouldn't think it could still be possible in post-war England. I wasn't parents so much as my brother, actually. Oh. Owing to my late father's circumscribed ideas of what was owing to women, my brother has the handling of Mary's money till she marries with his consent. Oh. I don't say it's a good plan. In fact, I happen to think it's a rotten one, but well, there it is. Monstrous! Um, excuse, excuse me, your beads. Oh, I don't care about my beads. I don't like the soup either. I'm so angry about these feudal ideas of your father's. Ah, too late for him to change them, I'm afraid. He's dead now, you know. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, well, after all, what is money? Oh, nothing, of course. But if you've been brought up having it, it's a bit awkward to drop it suddenly. Like baths, you know. Well, I don't understand how it could have made any difference to Mary. She liked being a worker. We once tried living in a workman's cottage for eight weeks. Five of us on 18 shillings a week. It was a marvellous experience on the very edge of the new forest. In the winter? Well, no. We felt we'd better not begin with winter. But we had nine wet days, and the kitchen chimney smoked all the time. The wood came out of the forest, you see, and it was soaking wet. Mm, must have been uncommonly interesting. It was an experience I shall never forget. One felt so close to the earth. I mean, so primitive. Uh, shall we have coffee? Why? Isn't that quite extraordinary? What? There is Mr. Goyle's just walked in. Really? Uh, would you introduce me? Of course. I'll ask him if he'll join us for coffee. Uh, Mr. Goyle's! Yoo-hoo! I say, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, uh, Mary Wimsey's brother. Will you join us for... Oh, really? Dashed off. But he can't be missing the lecture. Oh, where are you going, Mr. Goyle? Oh, excuse me, I must have a word again. I say, did you see a tall, fair man just run out of here? Yes, Governor. Run up that alley behind the hippodrome. What's up? Pinched your wallet or something? Uh, Mr. Goyles! Mr. Goyles, come back here a moment. Would you? I want a word with you. Oh! Oh! You shot him. In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael... Bunter, Peter Jones, the Dietary Duchess of Denver, Patricia Routledge, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Lady Mary Whimsey, Mariah Aitken, Miss Tarrant, Miriam Margulies, Dr. Thorpe, Sir Andrew, and the man, David Sinclair, the woman and the cockney, Bonnie Huron. Mary, quite contrary, was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett.
more at the same time next week. Remember that. Peter Whimsy. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter, with Patricia Routledge as the Dowager Duchess of Denver. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. Adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven. Episode 5, The Morning After. Lord Peter Whimsey is investigating the death of Captain Dennis Cathcart, for which his brother, the Duke of Denver, stands accused of murder. But now his sister, Lady Mary, has confessed to the killing, and Lord Peter, pursuing a man called Goyles, with whom he believes Mary had an assignation on the night of Cathcart's death, has been shot and wounded. The next day, the Dowager Duchess of Denver arrives at Peter's London flat. Mixed grill for one, Your Grace. Mary, you must eat, you know. I don't want anything, Mother. She'd better have a mixed grill also. Kidneys, Your Grace? Oh, yes. Uh, Bacon, sausage, lamb cutlet, a small steak, mushrooms and kidneys for two. With respect, Your Grace, for three. Three? His Lordship will be joining you. Oh, I thought he was still sleeping off the pain-killing drug they gave him at the hospital. On the contrary, Your Grace, he is up and in exceedingly good spirit. Then, as you say, mixed grill for three, Bunter. Who can that be? Probably Mr. Parker, Your Grace. Then we'd better make it a mixed grill for four. Have you enough kidneys? If not, I'll have underdone calves' liver. Thank you, Your Grace. Be as quick as you can. I've been travelling all night and I'm ravenous. Very good, Your Grace. Mary, I'm annoyed. Mother, I've said I'm sorry. Not good enough, my gal. It wasn't so much that you went off suddenly last night, just before dinner, too, alarming us so much. Indeed, poor Helen was totally distressed, and you know she always makes such a point of never being upset about anything. I don't really know why, for some of the greatest men have in their time... Mr. Parker, uh, ah, Mr. Parker, come in. Uh, You're to have a mixed grill. Uh, Peter will be joining us in a moment or two. Uh, I was was just uh, saying, Mr. Parker, that some of the greatest men haven't minded showing their feelings. Uh, I I don't mean southerners necessarily, but as Mr. Chesterton very rightly points out, uh, Nelson, too, who was certainly English, if he wasn't Irish or Scottish, I forget. Oh, dear. But United Kingdom, anyway, if that means anything at all nowadays. What what was I saying? Um, Um, Oh, yes. Uh, Mary, uh, 
I was talking about you going off without proper clothes and taking the car so that I had to wait till the 1.15. It's such a bad train, too, not getting up till 10.30. If you'd only looked up the trains before starting, you could quite easily have packed a bag. It's so much better to do things neatly and thoroughly, even stupid things. And it was stupid of you, indeed, to dash off like that and to embarrass poor Mr. Parker with a lot of twaddle. Though I suppose it was Peter you meant to see. You probably knew all about it anyway. No, Lord Peter and I haven't had time to discuss anything yet. I dashed off to Scotland Yard before breakfast. Then you must be hungry. Where has Bunter got with that food? Give him a chance, Mother. Bunter isn't a conjurer. I don't know about that. I've seen him produce meals which would be the envy of masculine and devant. Ah! Ah, Peter. Peter, are you sure you're well enough to be up? Uh, feeling as good as new, thanks, Mother. Mary? I thought you were shot in the arm. Why is your temple bruised? Well, apart from being shot, I fell against the unwelcoming knobs of a brass bedstead which had been placed in the alley by a thoughtless second-hand furniture dealer. However, what's a brass bedstead? Yes, Bunter? A telegram, my lord. Ah, thank you. It's my opinion, Mr. Parker, that if Peter will haunt low places full of Russians and suckling socialists taking themselves seriously, then he deserves all he gets. <laughs> One mustn't encourage these troublemakers by running after them. Charles, uh, read this, would you? Mm -hmm. Now, Mary, how did you get on with old Parker Bird last night? Did you tell him that you'd done the murder? Oh, really, it's perfectly hopeless trying to do anything. <laughs> Peter, you madden me sometimes. Let's postpone a full-scale argument until after we've eaten. There's no argument, Mother. I did it. I admit it. So Peter's case is finished. You must allow your brother to be the best judge of his own affairs, Mary. I rather fancy Mary's right. Anyway, we've got Goyle, so now we shall know. He wasn't there. He's innocent. I killed Dennis. Oh, Polly, look, don't be an ass. Yes, I, I was going to suggest that this Mr. Goyle's... Such a terrible name, Mary, dear. Especially as he would sign himself Geo-Goyles. G-E-O. You know, Mr. Parker, for George. Uh, and I never could help reading it as Gargoyles. <laughs> well, I very nearly wrote to you, Peter, dear, asking if you could see him in town, because there was something about this Ipecacuana business that made me feel he might have something to do with it. You always did find him a bit sickening, didn't you, Mother? How can you, Whimsy? Oh, never mind him, Mr. Parker. He can't be a gentleman. Oh, no, damn it all. Look, here is a fellow who, without the slightest provocation, plugs a bullet into my shoulder, breaks my collarbone, brings me up head foremost on a knobbly second-hand brass bedstead, and when, in what seems to me jolly, mild, parliamentary language, I call him a sickening fellow, my own sister says I'm no gentleman. Uh, don't get excited, Peter, oh, really? dear. Ah! Bravo! Mixed grill. Mmm. Oh, excellent, Bunter. Uh, the mushrooms couldn't have been gathered this morning, surely. Possibly not, Your Grace, but I have it on good authority that they were sent up from Worcestershire late last night. Then they may very well suffice. That'll be all. <laughs> Thank you, Bunter. And uh, bring some coffee, would you please? Peter, what made you say George did it? Did what? Shot you. I accidentally ran into him last night at your Soviet club. I asked to be introduced to him, but the minute he heard my name, he bolted. I rushed out after him, only meaning to have a word with him, when the idiot stopped at the corner of Newport Court, potted at me and bunked. Not a silly-ass thing to do. 
He couldn't help getting caught. Peter, George is just... Now, a... look here, Mary, old dear. Look, I did think of you. Honest engine, I did. I haven't had the man arrested. I've made no charge at all, have I, Charles? What did you tell him to do at the yard this morning? To detain Goyles, pending inquiries, because he was wanted as a witness in the Riddlesdale case. He knows nothing about that. He wasn't there. Then why tell all those lies to screen him? It won't do, Mary, I think. You're perjuring yourself and putting Gerald in peril of his life in order to shield from justice a man whom you suspect of murdering your lover and who has most certainly tried to murder me. Peter, what's the matter, Charles? You look unhappy. Oh, is it the mushrooms? All this interrogation is terribly irregular and... Uh, well, never mind. Do you really think you're doing the right thing, Mary O'Gill? Peter, I... Yes? I'll tell the truth. Good egg. I'm sorry. I know you like the fellow, and we appreciate your decision enormously. Truly, we do. Now, sail ahead, I think. Take it all down, Charles, would you? Well, it all started years ago with George. You were at the front then, Peter, but I suppose they told you about it and put everything in the worst possible light. Now, I wouldn't say that, dear. I think I told Peter that your brother and I were not altogether pleased with what we'd seen of the young man. He invited himself down one weekend, and when the house was very full, and he seemed to make a point of being unnecessarily rude to poor old Lord Mount Weasel. He said what he thought. When George gave his opinion, Lord Mount Weasel thought he was contradicting. Well, to be sure, when you flatly deny everything a person says, it does sound like contradiction to the uninitiated. But all I remember saying to Peter was that Mr. Goyles's manners seemed to me to lack polish and that he showed a lack of independence in his opinion. A lack of independence? Well, dear, I thought so. What oft was thought and frequently much better expressed, as Pope says, or, or was it somebody else? I... Who's for the last kidney? Oh, Mother, please. Mr. Parker, you've hardly had a thing. No more, really. I've eaten enormously. Then I shall be greedy. Mary, you really cared about him, didn't you? I still do. I always shall, in spite of what anyone says. And Gerald was a beast. He said he'd stop my allowance if I didn't send George away. So I did, but, of course, it didn't make a bit of difference the way we both felt. I will say for Mother, she was a bit more decent. She said she'd help us if George got a job. I could hardly insult Mr. Goyers by suggesting that he should live on his mother-in-law. Well, why not? If you'd given it to me, it would be my money. We believe in men and women being equal. Why should the one always be the breadwinner more than the other? I can't imagine, dear. George went to Germany to study socialism, but nothing seemed any good. So when Dennis Cathcart turned up, I said I'd marry him. Why? He never sounded to me the kind of bloke for you. I mean, as far as I could make out, he was Tory and diplomatic. I shouldn't have thought you had an idea in common. No, but he didn't care tuppence whether I had any ideas or not. I made him promise he wouldn't bother me with diplomats and functions, and he said, no, I could do as I liked, provided I didn't compromise him. And we were to live in Paris and go our own ways. Was Jerry all right about your money? Oh, yes. He said Dennis was no great catch, but after George, you could only thank his lucky stars it wasn't worse. Make a note of that, Charles, would you? Yes. Well, it seemed all right at first, but there was something a little alarming about Dennis. He was so very correct. Even when he went off the deep end and was passionate, which didn't often happen, he was correct about it. Extraordinary. It was like one of those odd French novels, you know, Peter. Frightfully hot stuff, but absolutely impersonal. Charles, oh man, 
Yes? That is important. You realise the bearing on it, don't you? No. No. Oh, well, never mind. <clears throat> uh, drive on, Mary, would you? Aren't I making your headache? Damnably, but I like it. Go on. Well, I'd been corresponding with George, and suddenly he wrote to me at the beginning of this month to say he'd got a job on the Thunderclap for four pounds a week. Thunderclap? The Socialist Weekly. Yeah, of course, yeah. Silly and wouldn't me. I chuck these capitalists and come and be an honest working woman with him? He could get me a secretarial job on the paper. I was to type and to help him get his articles together. He thought between us we should make six to seven pounds a week, which would be heaps to live on. And I was getting more frightened of Dennis every day. So I said I would. But I knew there'd be an awful row with Gerald. The engagement had been announced, and Dennis might have made things horribly uncomfortable for him. He was rather that sort. So we decided the best thing to do would be just to run away and get married. So it was arranged that the romantic Goyle should fetch you away from Riddlesdale. Now, why Riddlesdale? And why the unearthly hour of 3 a.m.? George had a meeting on Wednesday night at North Allerton. He was going to come straight on and pick me up and run me down to town to be married by special licence. He had to be at the office next day. I see. Well, I'll go on now and you stop me if I'm wrong. You went upstairs at 9.30 on Wednesday night. You packed a suitcase, then you went to bed, I fancy, or at any rate you turned the clothes back and lay down. Yes, I, I lay down. Did you, as a matter of fact, hear Gerald go out at 11.30, as Pettigrew Robinson said? Well, I fancy I did hear somebody moving about, but I, I didn't think much about it. May I clear, my lord? Uh, yes, Bunter, and bring some more coffee, would you? Certainly, my lord. But first, your medicine. Yeah, must I? Be brave, my lord. Very well. <clears throat> Frightful stuff. Well, to proceed... At three o'clock, you went down to meet Goyles. And why did he come all the way up to the house? Oh, I, I couldn't carry the heavy suitcase. And we wouldn't miss each other by the conservatory door. Was Goyles there when you got downstairs? Oh, I didn't see him, but there was poor Dennis's body and, and Gerald bending over it. My first idea was that Gerald had killed George. Oh, that's why I said, oh, God, you killed him. And then Gerald turned him over and I, I saw it was Dennis. And then I'm sure I heard something moving a long way off in the shrubbery, and, and it suddenly came over me, where was George? Oh, Peter, I, I saw everything then so clearly. I saw that Dennis must have come on George waiting there and attacked him. I'm, I'm sure Dennis must have attacked George. Probably thought he was a burglar. And in the struggle, George must have shot Dennis. Poor kid. I didn't know what to do. My one idea was that nobody must suspect George. I shoved my suitcase behind the cactus plants, and Jerry was taken up with the body, and he didn't notice. Well, you know, Jerry never does notice things until you shove them under his nose. But I knew if there'd been a shot, Freddie and the Pettigrew Robinsons must have heard it. So I pretended I'd heard it, too, and I, and I rushed down to look for burglars. Gerald sent me up to alarm the house, and, and I had the story all ready by the time I reached the landing. I was quite proud of myself for not forgetting the suitcase. You dumped it in the chest? Yes, you knocked up Freddie and the Pettigrew Robinsons. Then you had to bolt into your room to take your clothes off. Yes, I couldn't expect anybody to believe that I went burglar hunting in a complete set of silk undies and a carefully knotted tie with a gold safety pin. Mm, no, I see your difficulty. But I made a dreadful mistake about that shot. The, the time wasn't right. And then at the inquest, I, I had to stick to my story and it got to look worse and worse. And then they put the blame on Gerald. In my wildest moments, I'd never thought of that. Now, of course, I see how my wretched evidence helped. Hence the Ipecacuana. I've gotten such a frightful tangle. I 
I thought I'd better shut up altogether for fear of making things worse. And did you still think that Goyles had done it? I don't know. Who else could have done it? Well, honestly, old thing, if he didn't do it, I don't know who did. He ran away, you see. He seems rather good at shooting and running away. Look, if he hadn't done that to Peter, I'd never have told him. I'd have died first. The thing I don't understand is how Gerald's revolver got into the shrubbery. The thing I should like to know about is, was Dennis really a card sharper? Yes, well, the thing I should like to know about is the green-eyed cat. Well, Dennis never gave me a cat. Were you ever in a jeweller's with him in the Rue de la Paix? Oh, yes, heaps of times. Well, he did give me a diamond and tortoiseshell comb, but never a cat. Did Goyles know Cathcart at all? Not to my knowledge. Well, I think the best thing we can do is to go and see Goyles. Whatever the key to Wednesday night's riddle is, he holds it. I'm coming with you. Would you excuse us, Mother? Yes, of course. But make sure Mr. Goyles is handcuffed, won't you? Mr. Parker, I rely on you. There. Now, uh, although we are on police premises, Mr. Goyles, as you can see, no representative of the force is present. What about you? I am a solicitor. My name is Murbles. Your solicitor, Whimsy. My brother's. Oh, his grace's solicitor. That's right, and this is a purely friendly and private interview. It's a threat. If I don't tell you, you'll have me arrested on suspicion of murder. Dear me, no, Mr. Goyles. We should merely place what information we possess in the hands of the police, who would then act as they thought fit. Why, anything in the nature of a threat would be highly irregular. Call it what you like, it's still a threat. But I don't mind speaking, especially as you'll be disappointed when I tell you what I know. But what I do mind is that you, Mary, gave me away. But George, I tried so My hard... sister has been extraordinarily loyal to you, Mr. Goyles. I may tell you that she's put herself in a position of grave personal danger on your behalf. I don't know how you could think, George. Never but... mind how. I gather that you've told them everything. Well, I'll tell my story as shortly as I can, and you'll realize then that I know damn all about it. I parked my bus in the lane at about quarter to three. Where were you at 11.50? On the road from North Allerton. My meeting didn't finish until 10.45. I can bring a hundred witnesses to prove it. Go on. I climbed over the wall and walked through the shrubbery. I came to the conservatory door and stumbled over something. I thought at first it might be Mary, ill or fainted. I half-covered my torch and looked. I saw it was Cathcart, dead. You are sure he was dead? Stone dead. Had you known Cathcart previously? No, never. I should have said I saw it was a dead man and learned afterwards that it was Cathcart when I saw the photos in the papers. Satisfied? It is very necessary to be accurate in making a statement, Mr. Goyles. A remark such as you made just now might make an unfortunate impression on the police or the jury. Thank you, Mr. Murbles. And what next? I heard someone coming up the path. I didn't fancy being seen standing near a corpse, so I cleared out. You left the girl that you were going to marry to make for herself the unpleasant discovery that there was a dead man in the garden and that her gallant wooer had made tracks. What did you expect her to do? I thought she'd keep quiet for her own sake. And I didn't want to be found in what were definitely suspicious circumstances. And so ran away in a foolish and cowardly manner. You needn't put it that way. I was in a very awkward situation. And if you hit me on the head last night instead of grazing my arm, you'd have been in another very awkward situation. 
If you're so frightened of him with a dead body, why go about shooting people? Why carry firearms? Here is poor little Mary, half killing herself because she was sure you wouldn't have run away unless you really had something to run away from. It's sneers of men like you that does more to breed hatred between class and class I'm than it... I'm call Mr. Parker. Uh, no, 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 never mind that now. Uh, you've managed to put yourself in a very awkward position, young man. Ah, Mr. Parker. Will you kindly have Mr. Goyles kept under observation? We make no charge against him. But he must not attempt to abscond before the Riddlesdale case comes up for trial. He won't, Mr. Murbles. One moment, Mr. Goyles. Here is the ring you gave me. Goodbye. When next you make a public speech calling for decisive action, I'll come and applaud it. But otherwise, I think we'd better not meet again. Oh, of course. Your people have forced me into this position, and you turn around and sneer at me, too. I didn't mind thinking you were a murderer, but I do mind your being such an ass. You're speaking from a privileged position, and I, I will won't... never... Shake your hands off me, I... Splendid fellow, Parker. Yes. Mr. Goyles is in good hands. Now, uh, I'd like you and Lady Mary to come to lunch with me at my chambers. Excellent idea. Sir Impey Biggs will be there. I'm sorry, I don't want to meet anyone today. Oh, come along, old thing. Biggs is some celebrity, you know, and perfectly topping to look at in a marvelly kind of way. He'll tell you all about his canaries. I hope Lady Mary consents to adorn my bachelor establishment. It must be 20 years since I entertained a lady in my chambers. In that case, Mr. Marvel... Uh, you can't refuse. I can't. Capital. I'm afraid we may have to wait a few minutes for Sir Impey. He has an important libel action. He is uh, defending an elderly actress... His manner goes a long way with elderly ladies. Uh, when he suggested that she should raise her skirts and show the court her legs, the sensation on the bench was truly phenomenal. And did she show them? Panting for the opportunity, my dear Lord Peter. Panting for the opportunity. <laughs> we really are very fortunate to have secured his help. Ah, I think I hear him. I'm extremely sorry, Marbles. I did my best to hurry things along, but poor old Dowson is getting as deaf as a post. And how are you, Wimsey? You look as though you've been on the walls. Can we bring an action for assault against anybody? Oh, much better than that. Attempted murder, if you please. Excellent. But first things first, you haven't introduced me to your sister. No, she wasn't well when you came to stay at Riddlesdale. I trust you're fully recovered. Entirely, thank you. I've heard so much about you, Sir Impey. If what you've heard was good, then I shall try to live up to it. But if it was bad, then I shall attempt to live it down. Well, we hope very much that you're interested in our case. I am, dear lady, immensely. But nothing but that excellent saddle of mutton has the smallest attraction for me just now. Forgive my greed. <laughs> then uh, let us make a start. Uh, I'm afraid I'm too old-fashioned to have adopted the modern practice of cocktail drinking. Quite right. Ruins the palate and the digestion, too. Moreover, it is un-English. Came from America. God bless me. You're giving us the famous Clariton. Ah, it's a sin to mention a cocktail in his presence. It's the Lafitte 75. 75. This is a great compliment, Mr. Merbles. Uh, thank you. It's very seldom I bring it out for anyone under 50 years of age. Uh, but you, Lord Peter... 
have a discrimination which would do honor to one twice your years. Thank you. All right, Simpson, we'll uh, wait on ourselves. Uh, circulate the bottle, Sir Impey. May I, Lady Mary? Thank you. After lunch, I will ask you to try something really curious. An old client of mine died the other day and left me a dozen of 47 ports. 47? Well, it'll hardly be drinkable, will it, sir? I fear not. <laughs> a tragedy. However, I feel that some sort of homage should be paid to so notable an antiquity. Well, it would be something to be able to say when it tasted it. That's what I thought. But first, there are feet. Mmm. 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 Yes, an excellent lunch, Myrtle. That saddle of lamb. Oh, 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 delicious. You bachelors certainly know how to live. Thank you, Sir Impey. Now, quiet, everyone, while I pour the 47. Not a bad color. Not bad at all. Historic moments, Myrtles. There. Oh, dear. Too late was the cry. I fear so. Dead. Quite dead. It is like the taste of a passion that has passed its noon and turned to weariness. How very melancholy. Which reminds me. Goyles. Well, haven't you told me everything? Fact is, he's lost a lot by not being the murderer. Might have got a fine figure as a midnight assassin. But things being as they are, we must make the most of him as a witness. I'm sorry, Mary. Oh, don't mind me. I think you've worked it all out very well indeed. Our progress so far has been somewhat negative. Still, what we want to get at is the truth. Do you? I don't. I don't care tuppence about the truth. I want a case. I don't care who killed Cathcart, provided I can prove it wasn't Denver. I've always said that the professional advocate was the most immoral fellow on the face of the earth. And now I know for certain. Well, there's one thing to be grateful for... You, Lady Mary, were too unwell to go before the grand jury last Thursday. I wish I could escape the ordeal of giving evidence before the Lords. I can understand that. But the prosecution will be building their case on a shot fired at 3 a.m. Don't answer their questions, if you can help it, and we'll spring it on them. I suppose Denver still refuses to explain his movements? Categorically. The Whimsies are a determined family. Uh, what is your next move, Peter? Well, I have three lines to go on. First, try to establish Jerry's alibi from external sources. Second, get more information about Cathcart's past history. Thirdly... Thirdly? Find the real murderer. Any ideas where to look? Oh, certainly. And a very good idea it is, too. Where, Peter? Grider's Hole. That's the place where the farmer lives, who, who set the dogs on you. With the remarkable-looking wife. He is jealous and bloodthirsty. And Cathcart, well, may have wandered over to Grider's Hole any day. Are you suggesting that at the very time Mr. Cathcart was betrothed to your sister, he was carrying on a disgraceful intrigue with a married woman very much his social inferior? I'm sorry, Mary. It's all right. Matter of fact, it wouldn't surprise me, frankly. Dennis had rather continental ideas about marriage. I don't think he'd have thought that mattered very much. He'd probably have said there was a time and a place for everything. One of those watertight compartment minds, eh? But didn't you say this farmer had an alibi? Yes, but we didn't really test it. Well, 
Here's to crime. Oh, Peter, I hate you. In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, the Dowager Duchess of Denver, Patricia Routledge, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Lady Mary Whimsey, Mariah Aitken. Murbles, Malcolm Hayes, Goyles, Clifford Norgate, Sir Impey Biggs, Brian Olton. The Morning After was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett. Join Lord Peter Flimsey. Lord Peter Whimsey. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter, with James Villiers as the Duke of Denver. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. Adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven. Episode 6, In a Fog. Lord Peter Whimsey is investigating the death of Captain Dennis Cathcart, for which his brother, the Duke of Denver, is accused of murder. The Duke resolutely refuses to give details of where he was at the time of Cathcart's shooting, so Lord Peter decides to visit his brother in prison in York. Jerry, it's good to see you. Oh, hello, Peter. Good of you to come. All right, Warden, you can leave us now. Uh, sorry, my lord, uh, quite out of question. Do you mean to say that you have the gall to insist on standing there while I'm... Uh, the Warden's been very good about me coming to see you, Jerry, old fellow. Well, I'm glad to see you're keeping your tail up. I know all this legal stuff is an awfully slow business, but it gives us time, and that's all to the good. It's a confounded nuisance. And I'd like to know what Murbles means came down here and tried to bully me, damned impudence. Anybody would think he suspected me. Look here, Jerry. Why can't you let up on that alibi of yours? It'd help no end, you know. After all, if a fellow won't say what he's been doing or where he's been... They've got to show I was there, murdering the man. I'm presumed innocent, aren't I, till they prove me guilty? I call it a disgrace. Now, here's a murder committed and they aren't taking the slightest trouble to find the real criminal. I gave him my word of honour to say nothing of an oath that I did not kill Cathcart. Oh, mind you, the swine deserved it. 
but they pay no attention. Meanwhile, the railman's escaping at his confounded leisure. If only I were free, I'd make a fuss about it. Well, why don't you cut it short, then? I don't mean here and now to me, but to Merville's. Then we can get to work. I wish you jolly well keep out of it. Isn't it all damnable enough for Helen and Mother without you making it an opportunity to pay Sherlock Holmes? I'd have thought you'd have the decency to keep quiet for the family's sake. I may be in a damn rotten position, but I ain't making a public spectacle of myself, by Jove. Damn it, man, it's you that's making the spectacle. Do you think I like having my brother and sister dragged through the courts, reporters swarming all over the place, pictures and headlines with your name staring at me from every corner, and all this business ending up in a great show in the House of Lords with a lot of people togged up in scarlet and ermine and all the rest of the damn fool jiggery-pokery? People are beginning to look at me in the club, Jerry, and I can hear them whispering. Denver's attitude looks jolly, fishy, big ad. Well, we're in for it now. And thank heaven there are still a few decent fellows left in the peerage who'll know how to take a gentleman's word, even if my own brother can't see beyond his rotten legal evidence. Oh, look here, old chap. I'm... Ah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to let myself go like that. We're all working like blazes, and we're sure to find the right man before long. Well, you'd better leave it to the police. I know you like playing at detectives, but I do think you might draw the line somewhere. I don't look on this as a game, and I can't say that I'll keep out of it. I'm jolly sorry you find me such an irritating sort of person. I suppose it's hard for you to believe that I feel anything, but I do. And I'm going to get you out of this if Bunter and I both perish in the attempt. <clears throat> if you'll excuse me, Your Grace, my lord. What is it, ma'am? Thank you, Warden, for keeping an eye on the time. Must dash now, Jerry Oving. Oh, tell Mother not to worry. And Helen. Yes, of course. Keep that chin up, old lad. Good luck. Bye. Hmm, that's better. And how was his grace, my lord? Oh, reasonably chirpy, Bunter. But tell me... Is my manner really offensive, and I don't mean it to be? It is possible, my lord, if your lordship will excuse my saying so, that the liveliness of your lordship's manner may be misleading to persons of limited... Be careful, Bunter. Limited imagination, my lord. Well-bred English people never have imaginations, Bunter. Certainly not, my lord. I meant nothing disparaging. Well, old lad, I honestly... Well, look over there. Looks like a reporter. It is a reporter. Uh, look, where can we hide? In the minster, my lord. Follow me. Well, if you really think that I... We must hurry, my lord. Hmm. It's beautiful, Bunter. Quite breathtaking. We can enjoy the architecture later, my lord. In the meantime, let us pray. What? Kneel, my lord. The reporter won't molest us then. Ah. Oh! Jolly hard on the knees, what? Here's a hassock, my lord. Oh, thank you, Bunter. That's better. My lord, the verger is approaching. Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The reporter's gone and the verger's gone with him. Yeah, so he has. <laughs> Would you believe it? I think the verger's given him a conducted tour. Oh, I serve the blighter right. Now, you notice the excellent stained glass. Uh, the window under which he stands is called the Seven Sisters of York. Uh, they say that centuries ago... 
Come on, Bunter. Our next stop is going to be Stapley. The train, my lord. I know that, Bunter. We shall go first to Riddlesdale and change. Then we shall use one of their dock carts. Excellent, my lord. I should suggest the old Norfolk suit. Thick woolen stockings with sober tops and a pair of stout brogues. You know, I rather wish I'd brought my sword stick. It has a very useful compass in its head. I know, my lord, but it's malacca and too expensive looking. This stout ash plant looks more the part. The ordinary walk-in enthusiast, what? Anonymous. Discreet. Quite. Well, let's try the bridge and bottle first, shall we? I understand mine host there is about as surly as they come. Is that commendable, my lord? No, but Grimethorpe would probably prefer an unfriendly landlord. Bleak-looking hostelry, certainly. Yes, Bunter, I am convinced that this is indeed Farmer Grimethorpe's usual port of call. Let's try the bar, shall we? Morning, landlord. Hmm? I have heard that you serve perfectly splendid ale in your saloon bar. We thought we might try a couple of tankers and stuff. Oh, aye. Aye. Oh. Aye. Shall we wait for you or have your barmaid? Barmaid, my lord. In the corner, mm -hmm. cooking the books. Ah, yes. Uh, that's all right. Miss, two half pints of ale, please. I say, that looks good. I was told to come here for really good beer, and by Jove, it looks as though I've come to the right place. By the way, is Mr. Grindthorpe here today? How do I know? Well, I fancy he'd be the man to go where the best beer is. Aye? He comes in on market days, I expect. I know now to about him. Oh, well, it's a longish way from Grider's Hole. One can put up for the night here, I suppose. Just to want to stay night? Oh, uh, well, no, 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 I, I don't think so. I was thinking about my friend, Mr. Grindthorpe. I dare say he often has to stay the night. Happen he does. And does he stay here, then? Nay. Oh. Well, next time he drops in, say I ask for him, would you? And who might that be? Um, oh, uh, Mr. Brooks from Sheffield. Good morning. Uh, Mr. Bunter? Uh, Mr. Brooks? Ready? Just coming. Goodbye, all. Was that girl at all forthcoming? Forthcoming, my lord, but unhappily ill-informed. Mr. Grimethorpe does not stay here. She's sometimes seen him in the company of a man called Zedekiah Bone. Well, suppose you go and look for Bone and report progress in an hour's time. I'll try the Rose and Crown. Join me in the saloon bar. Very good, my lord. The Rose and Crown. Hey, what can I do for you, sir? Ah, familiar cadences. And when did you last see Piccadilly Circus? Oh, getting on for 35 years, I reckon, sir. My wife says to the wife, I says, listen, I'll take you to the open empire before I die. Uh, but uh, time just seems to slip away. Blowed if I ever remember how old I'm getting, sir. Oh, well, you've lost the time yet. Oh, I hope so, sir. But these northerners, they're so bleeding slow. And the way they speak, call it English, call. Takes some getting used to, I can tell you. Sometimes I feel as though they're robbing me of me natural way of talking. I don't think there's much fear of that. Uh, as soon as I stepped inside the bar, I said to myself, I am on my native paving stones, I said. That's right, sir. And being here, sir, what can I have the pleasure of offering you? Excuse me, sir. Mm -hmm. But uh, haven't I seen your face somewhere? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, but that reminds me, do you know one Mr. Grindthorpe? 
Well, no, five, Mr. Grimethorpe, sir. And which of them was you meaning it? Mr. Grimethorpe of Grider's Hole. A friend of yours, sir? Not exactly. An acquaintance. There, now. I notice I note your face. Now, don't you live over at Riddlesdale, sir? I'm staying there. I know, dear. That's it, of course. Here it is on, on the front page. The Riddlesdale mystery. A lifelike snapshot of you, sir. Lord Peter Whimsey, the Sherlock Holmes of the West End, who is devoting all his time to proving the innocence of his brother, the Duke of Denver. <laughs> to think you're standing there um, right in uh, front look, of me, uh, face to face. Uh, look here, I think. Look, look, do, mind not, do mind not talking quite so loud. <gasps> but seeing that dear old Felix is out of the bag, so to speak, do you think you could give me some information and keep your mouth shut, what? Come behind into the bar parlour, my lord. Nobody will hear us there. Now, my lord, uh, this uh, fella Grimethorpe used to come in here quite often on market days. Last month he come in, spliced. Drunk? As a lord. Uh, <laughs> my lord. Oh, he, he had an up and a downer with his wife. Lovely woman. Well, I could see he'd had more than he should have, so I, I said I wouldn't let him have any more spirits. She tried to pull him away. Blow me if he didn't knock her down. Oh, he called her some rare old names and all. Said as how she was no better than what she should be and all. I had to, I had to get the potman to throw him out. Well, I would have myself, but being small and not in very good health, well, young Grover, he pitched him right through the door, wallop. In shocking temper he had, but that quietened him. Has Grimethorpe always had a bad temper? Well, it's been worse lately. Do you by chance recollect him coming in here on October the 13th? Oh, that would be the day of the earth. Oh, yes. Of course, I, I, I remember thinking it was odd him coming here except on market days. Said he was here to look at some machinery. Do you remember what time he arrived? And I, I fancy he was here to lunch. Mm -hmm. And then he come back later. He took a room for the night. You're sure that wasn't Thursday night? Oh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I, I remember hearing about the murder on a Thursday morning and then telling Mr. Grimethorpe about it when he settled up. What time did he come in and go to bed? But. Uh, Two in the morning. He was locked out. Jim had to go down and let him in. Two o'clock was the Thursday morning, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, well, I am no end obliged to you. Uh, ah, here's a friend of mine. There you are, Mr. Brooks. Oh, excuse me, but this here is not Mr. Brooks. It's uh, Lord Peter Whimsey, famous amateur detective. Sorry about that. Not at all, my lord. Reading will out. Well, if you'll excuse me then, my lord. Yes, thank you, thank you. Most kind. Oh, yes, yes, gentlemen, yes, yes. What can I do for you? Did you get the information, Bunter? Uh, yes, my lord. I've made a few notes. Uh, Grime Thoughts movements, Wednesday, October the 13th to Thursday, October the 14th. 3 p.m., orders two drills from a man called Gooch and drinks to clinch bargain. 5 p.m., calls on John Watson about delivering dog food, drinks with Watson. 5.45 p.m., drinks with Zedekiah Bone at Bridge and Bottle. 7 p.m., seen by Constable Z15, drinking with several men at Pig and Whistle. Heard to use threatening language with regard to some person unknown. 7.20 p.m., seen to leave Pig and Whistle with two men, not yet identified. October 14th, 1.15 a.m., picked up by Watson about a mile out on road to Riddlesdale, very dirty and ill-tempered and not quite sober. 1.45am, let into Rosencrown by James Johnson Potman. 
The shot was heard at 11.50. How far to Riddlesdale, Hunter? About 13 and three-quarter miles, my lord. Hmm. Couldn't be done on foot. We must find those men at the pig and whistle, though, lad. Yes, my lord. There is one thing I happen to discover. Let's have it. It's not particularly pleasant, my lord. Come on, come on, come on. I met an old man in the drover's arms who claims to have seen a man walking over Wemmerling Fell on the night of the murder. Man, eh? Not much to go on. He volunteered the information that he could have been the Duke, my I am more and more certain that we're going to find the answer to this business at Grider's Hole. Very possibly, my lord. Foggy, Bunter, ain't it? It is, my lord, and somewhat damp. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had my walking stick with a compass. I took the precaution of bringing a pocket compass, my lord. Ah, oh, well done, Bunter. Well, now, let's see. Yes, yeah, southeast. Yes, Grider's Hole should be over there. Now, let's hurry. Yes, my lord. Bunter? Uh, my lord? Uh, yeah, there you are. Sorry, I thought you'd vanish for good. We must keep together, my lord. This fog is deceiving. Ah, much worse than dear old London, eh? Oh! Are you all right, my lord? Frankly, no, Bunter. So give me a hand, would you? I can't see you, my lord. Well, I'm over here. Look here, ma'am. Ah, that's it. The whole fast, my lord. Thank you, Bunter. It's getting worse, my lord. Yes. Has the phenomenon... Uh, has it any uh, habits, my lord? No regular habits, I believe. Sometimes it moves, other times it stays in one place for days. We might have to wait all night to see if it lifts at daybreak. Yes, my lord. Well, if we keep going southeast, we shall get to Grider's Hole, and they'll jolly well have to put us up for the night. Can you see the compass, my lord? Uh, just about. Yeah, straight on downhill to southeast. Excellent, my lord. It may be a little warmer lower down. Let's hope we don't walk in a circle. That's always the danger in a fog. What's that? A horse, my lord. Frightened, I expect. Poor devil. Where is he? Uh, no, my lord, don't try and find him. He's over there somewhere. For God's sake, stop, my lord. The fog! Oh! Stay where you are, Bunter. Stand still and stop me. Oh! I tripped right into it. I say one sinks very fast. Now, Bunter, don't you come anywhere near me or you'll go too. We'll yell for a bit. I don't think we're very far from Grider's Hill, and we may be able to rouse him. Help! Help! If your lordship will keep shouting, I think I can get to Help! 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 Try not to move, my lord. Oh. You'll sink further in. Yes, I know. Oh! I'm up to my thighs already. Keep shouting, my lord. Look, I hope you're not thinking of trying to get to me, Bunter. I order you to stay where you are. Certainly, my lord. But please keep shouting. Help! 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 Well done, my lord. Help! Bunter, you are disobeying my orders. I can hear you. Then I must be very close to you, my lord. Bunter, for God's sake, keep out of this! 
It's all right. I'm on my stomach, oh. my lord. My weight is more evenly distributed. I should be all right. Can you feel my hand, my lord? Where is it? Keep still, my lord. The less your lordship moves, the better. You sound very near, Bunter. I am, my lord, behind you. There. Oh. Well done, old lad. Take my hand, my lord. Oh. And so long as I can keep a grip of this large tuft of grass, we can stay here indefinitely. Don't fancy that, Bunter. Oh, oh, lord, what a beastly way to peg out. We're not going to peg out, my lord. I'm up to my chest in it, Bunter. We must shout as loud as we can. Shall we attempt it in unison, my lord? Yeah. All right, yes, yes, all right. One, two, three. Help! 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 Listen. I thought I heard something, my lord. Let's call again, Bunter. One, two, three. Help! Bunter, old thing, I'm beastly sorry to have let you in for this. Don't mention it, my lord. What became of your stick, my lord? I think it's here somewhere, just behind me. Yes, here it is. May I, my lord? Yes, of course. <coughs> what are you going to do with it? Thank you, my lord. I'm just going to I'll put it under my chin, like this, and put my head out of the mud. I say, Bunter. My lord? Look over there, to the left. There's a light. So there is. It's a long way off. Help! Help! Oh, help! 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 Who's there? Help! 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 In the bog! Bring a ladder or a gate or something. Quick as you can. There isn't much time. Oh, you said we could stay here indefinitely. I was guilty of exaggeration, my lord. Yeah, well, hurry up there. We're sinking fast. The turtle, Jake. Over here. Two of us. Make haste. Hang on, gangster. Yes, if you're quick. Jake's fetching hurdle. Two on his sister. Yes. Deep in. One of us. All right. Jake's coming with the hurdle. Stankle. Yes. Where's to the man? Yeah. Nearly up to his neck. Oh. Have you a rope? Jake, a rope. Come back and leave. I can't. Come. Oh, God. Oh. Oh. It's like trying to heave the earth out of a corpse. Oh. Afraid I'm rooted to Australia, Bunter. Sorry, my lord. Sorry. He's coming. Oh. Place. Oh, apologize. Stupid of me to have forgotten. Well, that's lucky. There'll be few folks has come out of Peter's pot dead or alive, I reckon. I nearly potted Peter that time. Oh. My lord, my lord, he's out. Lay him on turtle. We'll take him to farm. What's this? 
Unless I go there. No, no, but the fool are asleep. It couldn't be any fog. Oh, is it? Oh, poor man. I can shame us. A man, any man, that's how they think so. The bite kill us, won't they? But William. Oh, go tongue. Hey, now. Take him in for night. If feller it come to do harm, he's done it already to himself. You won't do any more harm tonight. Look at him. Well, bring an into fireman. Oh. Bunter. Oh, I... Well, where... You all right? Oh, I never said thank you. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Anywhere to sleep here, what? Morning, Bunter. Good morning, my lord. I trust your lordship is rested. Feel as fit as a fiddle, thanks. Come to think of it, why a fiddle? Except for a general feeling of having been massaged by some fellow with cast iron fingers and knobbly joints. How about you? Uh, the arms are a trifle fatigued, thank you, my lord. Otherwise, I'm happy to say I feel no trace of the misadventure. They must be jolly well dragged out of their sockets holding me up all that ghastly long time. You know, I'm so deeply in debt to you already, Bunter, it's not a bit of use trying to repay it. You know I won't forget, anyhow, don't you? Your breakfast, my lord. Thank you. Did they give you anywhere decent to sleep? I slept excellently, thank your lordship. They would have given me another room, but I preferred to remain with your lordship, trusting you would excuse the liberty. I feared Grimethorpe might not feel altogether hospitably disposed and that he might be led into some hasty action if we were not together. Most murderous-looking fellow I ever set eyes on. I'll have to talk to him this morning, or to Mrs. Grinthorpe. I take my oath she could tell us something, what? I should say there was very little doubt of it, my lord. Whose room's this? Mr. and Mrs. Grimethorpe's, my lord. It appeared most suitable, there being a fire and the bed already made up. Mrs. Grimethorpe showed great kindness, my lord, and the man Jake pointed out to Grimethorpe that it would doubtless be to his pecuniary advantage to treat your lordship with consideration. Hmm. Well, it's up and away for me. Oh! Lord, I'm stiff. Oh! What a godforsaken place this is. It has a certain grandeur, I suppose. Look at the view from this window. Bleak, my lord. That looks as if the window hasn't been open for a long time. Hello. Yeah, someone's wedged a piece of paper and stopped it rattling. Bunter! My lord? Bunter! I am, without exception, the biggest ass in Christendom. When a thing is right under my nose, I can't see it. I deserve to be crucified upside down as a cure for anemia of the brain. Jerry! Jerry, silly old blighter, why couldn't he have told me? Tell you what, my lord? Look at this, Bunter. Stuck into the window frame for anyone to find. Just like Jerry, signs his name to the business in letters a foot high, leaves it conspicuously about, and then goes away and is chivalrously silent. This, Bunter, is the missing letter from Tommy Freeborn. So his grace was here on the night of the murder? Certainly. Trudged across the fields while the unspeakable Grimethorpe was in Stapley buying machinery. Plugged the window with this. Bade the beautiful Mrs. Grindthorpe farewell and padded back to Riddlesdale at three in the morning like a homing tomcat. Got in and fell over his guest's body by the conservatory. 
Damn, damn me if he doesn't prefer to go to prison and face a charge of murder rather than tell me all his solicitors where he's been. I remember you saying the lady threw herself into your arms when she heard your voice, my lord. Thought I was Jerry. Of course! Yes, I remember that myself. Ah, can't exactly blame my brother for falling victim to her charms. Look, my lord, it's Grimethorpe. Where do you suppose he's going, Bunter? Some distance, or he wouldn't take the horse, my lord. Get that shaven water, Bunter. I'm going to see Mrs. Grimethorpe. Very good, my lord. Not quite the gentlemanly thing to do, but I feel I owe it to Jerry. After all, Bunter, a peer of the realm has been executed about every 60 years for several centuries. And the last one was over 50 years ago. <laughs> In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, the Duke of Denver, James Villiers, Grimethorpe and the Cockney Landlord, Bill Wallace, Mrs. Grimethorpe, Elizabeth Proud, Jake, the Yorkshire Landlord and the Verger, David Sinclair, the Warden, the Ostler and the Rescuer, Alan Rowe. Inner Fog was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett. Peter Whimsey. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Says. Adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven. Episode 7, The Barometer Falls. Lord Peter's investigations into the death of Dennis Cathcart have led him to Grider's Hole, the farm of Mr. and Mrs. Grimethorpe. After nearly losing his life in the swamp behind the farm, Lord Peter finds inside the house a clue which provides an alibi for his brother, the Duke of Denver, who is shortly to stand trial for Cathcart's murder. Uh, excuse me. 
<clears throat> Mrs. Grimeful. Oh, uh, good morning. Are you better? Oh, perfectly all right, thank you. Thanks to your kindness, which I don't know how to repay. You will repay any kindness best by going at once. My husband does not care for strangers. Yeah, well, I will go directly, but I must first beg for the favor of a word with you. What do you want with me? Mrs. Grimethorpe, I am placed in a most painful position. You know that my brother, the Duke of Denver, is in prison awaiting his trial for a murder which took place on the night of October the 13th. I have heard so. He has refused state where he was between 11 and 3 o'clock on that night. His refusal has brought him into great danger of his life. He feels bound in honor not to disclose his whereabouts, though I know that if he chose to speak, he could bring a witness to clear him. I suppose if the thing is disgraceful, he doesn't want it known. Obviously. The secret is a disgraceful one in a sense and will give pain to his family. But it would be an infinitely greater disgrace that he should be executed for murder. Then the shame of the truth will, I fear, in this very unjust world of ours, rest more upon the witness to his alibi than upon himself. Why are you telling me all this? Because, Mrs. Grindthorpe, you know how innocent my brother is of this murder. I know nothing about your brother. Forgive me, but that is not true. I know nothing. And surely if the Duke will not speak, you should respect his reasons. I am not bound in any way. I am afraid I cannot help you. You are wasting time. If you cannot produce your missing witness, why do you not set about finding the real murderer? I've been working hard to find them, but with no success. The trial will probably take place at the end of this month. I had hoped that with your help we might agree on some explanation. Less than the truth, perhaps, but sufficient to clear my brother. As it is, I fear I shall have to produce the proof I hold and let matters take their course. What? What do you mean by proof? I can prove that on the night of the 13th, my brother slept in the room I occupied last night. It is a lie. He will deny it. I shall deny it. You cannot prove it. He was not there? No. Then how did this letter come to be wedged in the sash of the bedroom window? Oh, no. Oh, no, it is a lie. Oh, God, help me. Oh, Mrs. Grimford, please, somebody will hear you. Now, tell the truth, and we'll see if we can find a way to protect you. It is true, isn't it? He was here that night. You know it. When did he come? At a quarter past twelve. Who let him in? He had the keys. When did he leave you? A little after two. Yes, that fits all right. Three quarters of an hour to go and three quarters to get back. He stuck the letter in the window, I suppose, to stop it from rattling. There was a high wind, and I was nervous. I thought every sound was my husband coming back. Your husband suspected this? Yes, but he could get no proof. If you call me to give evidence, he will know. He will kill me. Oh, for God's sake, have pity. That letter is my death warrant. Find some other way. You can. You must. Mrs. Grindthorpe, believe me, I am deeply sorry for you. And if I can get my brother out of this without bringing you in... I promise you that I will. But if there should be no other way, I will see that you have police protection from the moment that the Sabina is served upon you. <laughs> For the rest of my life? Once you're in London, we'll see about freeing you from this man. Oh, no. If you call upon me, I am a lost woman. But you will find another way. I'll try to do everything that is possible to protect you. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, Mr. Grindthorpe, there you are. Uh, Awfully uh, pleased to see you, and thank you for putting us up. I was just saying so to Mrs. Grindthorpe and asking her to say goodbye to you for me. Uh, I must be off now. Uh, good. Bunter and I are ever so grateful to you both for your kindness. And I wonder if you could find those stout fellows who hauled us out of that pot of yours last night. <laughs> uh, if it is yours, that is. Nasty, damp thing to keep outside your front door, what? Damn good <laughs> thing for unwelcome guests. Oh, oh, yes. oh yes, I bet. Yes, rather am I. And that better be off before I throw thee out. Yes, well, I am just off, actually. Well, goodbye again, Mrs. Grindthorpe, and a thousand thanks. Bunter, I'd like you to bring us some of the 97 Armagnac. Very good, my lord. Oh, it's good to be back, Charles. You know, I'm not sure that the London variety of fog isn't preferable to the type they produce on the moors. Uh, providential, though, wasn't it? <laughs> if there hadn't been a fog, you wouldn't have been in Peter's pot, you wouldn't have been rescued, you wouldn't have spent the night in Grimethorpe's bedroom. And wouldn't have found the letter. Exactly. By the way, I have a, another letter for you to look at. Huh? Yes, from my Cockney landlord at the Rosen Crown. Uh, ah, yes, here it is. Yeah, my lord, about our conversation, I found a man who was with Grimethorpe, the party in question, at the Pig and Whistle on the night of the 13th Alt, and he tells me that he and the party had been drinking together until closing time, and the party borrowed his bicycle, same was found afterwards in the ditch where party was picked up. Oh, hmm. What do you think of that? Oh, that's good enough to get on with. Yes, that means we can eliminate Grimethorpe as well as Mary. Yes. And though she's my sister, I must say that of all the blithering she asses, Mary is the blitherinest. I mean, taken up with that awful bounder Goyles to start with. Oh, she was jolly fine about oh, it. It's really? just because oh. she's your sister, you can't appreciate what a fine thing she did. How could a big chivalrous nature like her see through a man like that? She's so sincere and thorough herself, she judges everyone by the same standards. It was... It was wonderful the way she fought for him. I mean, think what it must mean to such a splendid, straightforward woman. All right, all right, that, all I mean, right, let... Charles. Don't get worked no, no. up, I believe you. Please spare me. I'm only a brother. All brothers are fools. All lovers are lunatics. Shakespeare says so. Do you want Mary, oh man? Oh, well, 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 well. Why, you surprise me. But I believe brothers are always surprised. Bless you, my dear children. Damn it all, Winsy. You've no right to talk like that. I only <laughs> said how greatly I admired your sister. There's no need to be insulting. No, I know I'm she's sorry, Lady sorry, Mary I'm Whimsy. I'm only a common police official with nothing a year and a pension to look forward to, but there's no need to sneer about but it. I'm not sneering, Charles. I can't imagine why anybody should want to marry my sister, but you're a friend of mine and a damn good sort. And you've my good word for what it's worth. Besides, dash it all, man. To put it on the lowest grounds, do look what it might have been. A socialist country of neither bowels nor breeding or a card-shopping dark horse with a mysterious past. Mother and Jerry must have got to the point when they'd welcome any decent God-fearing plumber, let alone a policeman. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm no offence, old lad, no oh, offence. The only thing I'm afraid of is Mary, having such a beastly bad taste in blokes, won't know how to appreciate a really decent fellow like you, old son. Thank you, Peter. No, no, no I'm sorry I've got a bit... No, I don't mention it, Charles. The 97 Armagnac, my lord. Well done, Bunter. Are these uh, letters to be filed, my lord? Mm, uh, yes, Bunter. Yes, 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 yes. 
Uh, the one from the window at Grider's Hole and this one from Mr. Watching. Very good, my lord. Oh, filed, eh? Pleased you have a system. <laughs> it's Bunter's invention, actually. I just stuff everything in my pockets, and when I've turned in, Bunter goes through them and fires anything relevant. His lordship Taylor insists on that, Mr. Parker. Gentlemen's pockets should never harbour more than the slimmest of notebooks. Uh, exactly. I'll see if there's anything for you in my pocketbook, shall I? Uh, that's getting a bit full. Here. Here's a couple of letters you can file. There you are. And what's this piece of blotting paper? My lord? Ah, yes, of course, from the study at Riddlesdale. From... Wait a moment. Wait a moment, Charles. Of course! Manon Lisco. Well, what do you... My lord? Well, boil my brains. Boil them and mash them and serve them up with butter as a dish of termites for it's damn well all they're fit for. Here we have been worrying over Jerry and Mary and hunting Goylses and Grimethorpes and God knows who. And all the time I have got this little piece of paper tucked away in my pocket. Manon! Manon! Oh, Charles, if I had the grey matter of a woodlouse, that book ought to have told me the whole story. Peter, I have never read Manon Lesko. I haven't the foggiest idea what you've discovered. Have a look at that blotting paper. <laughs> All right. Ah, I see two blots. Someone must have shaken a pen there. Below the blots, the Duke signed his name two or three times, or rather his title. The inference is that his letters were not too intimate. The inference is justifiable, I fancy. Well, that's all, except for a fragment consisting of O-E on one line and is F-O-U below it. Now, what do you make of that? Well, I don't know. It could be his found or his foul. What, the Duke been writing about Cathcart's foul play? No, I don't make that of it. Besides, I don't think it's Jerry's writing. Well, whose is it? Well, I can guess. Oh, coffee it up, Peter. Try the line above. Well, there's only the O-E, and then there's some scratches in front of that. No, there aren't lashings of English words with O-E in them. And it's written so close that it almost looks like a diphthong at that. That's mm. his friend. You're getting warm. It could be Sir, Earth, Birth, Cur. Yes. Uh, have a look at the scratches in front of it. Uh, E-R-C-E-R. How about Pierce le coeur? Now, what's that mean? Hmm? It means pierce the heart. Yes. Now, yes, now now your F-O-U line. Foo! Who? No, I didn't say who. I said foo. Yes, I, I knew you did. I said who. Who? You, but who is foo? Who is? By Jove, yes, of course, sui. Je suis foo. And I suggest that the next words might have been something like, um, um, de douleur. Well, they might have been. There, you cautious beast. I say they are. Yeah, but it still tells us nothing. Well, now, think, Charles. Huh? Think. This was written on the day Cathcart died. Now, who in the house would be likely to write, Percé le coeur? Je suis fou de douleur. Now, take everybody. Well, I know it ain't Jerry's fist, and he wouldn't use those expressions anyway. Mr. or Mrs. Pettigrew Robinson, well, not Pygmalion likely. Freddy? <laughs> Freddy couldn't write passionate letters in French to save his life. Well, it, it, it would have to be either Cathcart or Lady Mary. No, it couldn't be Mary. No, why not? Well, not unless she changed her sex. It would have to be Je suis Paul. But Cathcart! Of course, of course, of course! He lived in France all his life. Now, consider his bank book. Consider. Oh, Peter, we've been blind. Yes! Listen... I, I was going to tell you that the Surete write to me that they've traced one of Cathcart's banknotes. Where to? Well, to a Mr. Francois who owns a lot of property near the Etoile. Ah, and left it out in apartments? Oh, no doubt. 
When's the next train, Bunter? Uh, my lord. The next train, Bunter, for Paris. 8.20, my lord, from Victoria. And I'm going to catch it. Pack my toothbrush and call a taxi. Certainly, my lord. But Peter won't like to sit throw on Cathcart's murder. Look, I've no time now, but I'll be back in a day or two. Meanwhile, read this. What? What it, is it? It is a classic French novel, Charles, called Manon Lesco. <laughs> Welcome back, my lord. I'm afraid the newspapers are making a meal of the forthcoming trial, my lord. Never mind that, Bunter. Get two taxes. Two, my lord? One for you. You are going to the temple, and I am going to the American embassy. Uh, very good, my lord. You're taking these papers to Mr. Murbles. Tell him to draw up alternative schemes of defense. Here you are. Here's all the stuff I managed to get in Paris. Yes, my lord. But I assumed I should accompany you to the American embassy. I only want a visa, Bunter. Surely I can get a simple thing like that on my own. I hope so, my lord. So do I. I've got to get over to New York and be back in time for the trial. Will you catch the Aquitania from Liverpool tonight, my lord? Yes, Bunter. And if these Americans don't jump to it, then I shall really show them how an Englishman can get things moving. I'd like to be there to witness the spectacle, my lord. Taxi! Here, look, look, I'll take this one, Bunter. There's another one behind. Give Murbles my regards. American Embassy, quick as you can. Oh, damn it, the ambassador's out to dine. I'll have to disturb his dinner. Where to, Gov? Buckingham Palace and fast. I must apologize to your majesty and your excellency for bursting in, but I'm sure it can be done. Oh, yes. Of course it can be done. Surely, surely we mustn't have any delay. Might cause an international misunderstanding and a lot of paragraphs about Ellis Island. Terrible nuisance uh, to adjourn the trial. Dreadful fuss, isn't it? Our secretaries are everlastingly bringing things along to our place to sign about extra policemen and seating accommodation. Uh, good luck to you, Whimsy. Uh, when does your boat go? Tomorrow morning, early, sir. I'm catching the Liverpool train in an hour, if mm. I can. You surely will. Here, I've signed the visa. Thank you, Your Excellency. Uh, Your Majesty, if you would excuse me. Uh, certainly, Whimsy. Remember me to your mother. I will. She'll be delighted, sir. Hmm. And they say the English can't hustle. I say, Benson, don't you think we ought to uh, be getting over to the Lords and taking our places? Calm yourself, Enright. It's all ritual and pageantry for at least another hour. Oh. It's a slow job getting 300 doddering peers into their right places. You've attended a trial at the House of Lords before, have you, Benson? Good heavens, yes. I've seen it all, old boy. Seen it all. Eleven o'clock. Good. Let's have another cup of coffee and then stroll over in time to hear the first witness. The Duke himself? Oh, no hope. He's the accused. Oh. The, the first witness to be called by the prosecution will be the Duke's sister, the beautiful Lady Mary. And Sir Wigmore Rinching will be cross-examining her. I wouldn't like to miss that. You won't, Enright. Believe me. Now, Lady Mary, let us turn to later that night. Or rather, early the following morning. At three o'clock, what did you do? I got up and went downstairs. In consequence of what did you do so? In consequence of an appointment I'd made to meet a friend. 
Indeed. Now, witness, remember you are on oath and be very careful. What was it caused you to wake up at three o'clock? Oh, I wasn't asleep. I was waiting for my appointment. And while you were waiting, did you hear anything? Nothing at all. Now, Lady Mary, I have here your deposition sworn before the coroner. I will read it to you. You say, at three o'clock I was wakened by a shot. I thought it might be poachers, it sounded very loud. I went down to find out what it was. Do you remember making that statement? Yes, but it wasn't true. It was not true? No, I heard nothing at all. I went down because I had an appointment. My lords, I must ask leave to treat this witness as a hostile witness. Proceed. Who was this person with whom you had an appointment? A Mr. George Goyles. Thank you, Lady Mary. Is she lying now, or did she lie to the coroner? Mm, to the coroner, my bet. Mm. I shouldn't wonder if, say, Impey hasn't something up his sleeve. Uh, wait for it. Ah, here it comes. Give the nature of the question, Lady Mary. But will you tell us whether, in your opinion, Captain Cathcart was deeply in love with you? No, I'm sure he was not. It was an arrangement for our mutual convenience. From your knowledge of his character, do you suppose he was capable of a very deep affection? Oh, I think he might have been for the right woman. I should say he had a very passionate nature. Thank you. You told us that you met Captain Cathcart several times in Paris. This was uh, last February. Uh, do you remember going with him to a jeweler's in the Rue de la Paix? I, I may have done. I, I can't exactly remember. Did Captain Cathcart ever give you this platinum and diamond cat? Never. Did you ever possess such a jewel? No, I'm quite positive. I never did. My lords, I put in this diamond and platinum cat. Thank you, Lady Mary. Call Arthur James Fleming. Hmm. Who have we got there, Enright? The manservant from Riddlestone. Oh, not very impressive. It can't be the butler. Why not? Well, if he were, Sir Wigmore wouldn't hand him over to the defence for a start. Listen. You can't recall giving the Duke a letter on the 13th of October? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, I mean, no, sir. But you're not sure? Uh, no, sir. Do you recollect whether any letters came by post for anyone else? Uh, there were several letters, and there was one for Captain Cuthcart. Did the captain open his letter? I could not say, sir. I left the room to take his grace's letter to the study. I see. So the Duke did receive a letter that evening. Uh, yes, sir. I remember now, sir. Now, will you tell us how the letters are collected for the post in the morning at the lodge? Uh, they are put into the post bag, which is locked. His grace keeps one key, and the post office has the other. On the morning after Captain Cathcart's death, were the letters taken to the post as usual? Yes, sir. By whom? I took the bag down myself, sir. Had you the opportunity of seeing what letters were in it? I saw there was two or three when the postmistress took them out of the bag, but I could not see who they was addressed to or anything. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Fleming, <clears throat> is this the first time you have mentioned this letter which you say you delivered to Captain Cathcart on the night of the murder? My lord, I protest against this language. We have as yet had no proof that any murder was committed. 
I took it to Trimpah there has been no attempt to prove murder, and that until the prosecution is established for murder, such a word cannot properly be put into the mouth of a witness. Uh, perhaps, Sir Wigmore, it would be better to use some other word. I bow to your lordship's decision. Heaven knows that I wouldn't seek, even by the most trivial word, to hamper the defence on so serious a charge. My lord, if the learned attorney general considers the word murder to be a triviality, it would be interesting to know to what words he does attach importance. Uh, the learned attorney general has agreed to substitute another word. Uh, proceed, Sir Wigmore. Uh, thank you, my lord. Uh, now, James Fleming, have you ever mentioned this letter which you say you delivered to Captain Cathcart on October the 13th? I mentioned it first to Mr. Murbles about three weeks ago. And Mr. Murbles is the solicitor for the accused, I believe. Yes, sir. And how was it that you didn't mention this letter at the inquest or at earlier proceedings in the case? I wasn't asked about it, sir. What made you suddenly decide to go and tell Mr. Murbles? He asked me, sir. Oh, he asked you. Now, I put it to you that you had not remembered this letter till it was suggested to you by Mr. Murbles. Mr. Murbles didn't suggest nothing, sir. He asked me, and then I remembered it. Exactly. When it was suggested to you, you remembered it. it no, sir. If I had been asked before, I, I should have remembered it and mentioned it, but not being asked, I, I did not think it would be of any importance, sir. You did not think it of any importance? that Captain Cathcart received a letter a few hours before he died? No, no, sir. I reckoned if it had been of any importance, the police would have asked about it. And it didn't occur to you that you should mention it to the police? No, sir. Why not? I didn't think it was my place. Did you think about it at all? No, sir. Do you ever think? No, sir. Uh, I, I mean, yes, sir. Thank you. Between the day of the captain's death and the day when Mr. Myrtle spoke to you about it, the thought of this letter to Captain Cathcart never passed through your mind? It, it did, sir. When was that? Before the grand jury, sir. And how was it you didn't speak about it then? The gentleman said I was to confine myself to the questions and not say nothing on my own, sir. <laughs> Who was this very peremptory gentleman? The lawyer for the Crown, sir. Thank you. Call the Honourable Frederick Arbatnot. Now, Mr. Arbatnot, would you say that the deceased was merry and lively when he went to bed and looking forward to his marriage in the near future? Oh, yes. He seemed particularly cheerio, you know. Particularly what? Uh, cheerio, my lord. I do not know whether that is a dictionary word, uh, but I take it to be synonymous with cheerful. Thank you, my lord. Uh, thank you, Mr. Abatnot. Do you recollect anything about the letters that were brought in on the night of the death? Yes. I have one from my aunt, and Mr. Pettigrew Robinson had some, and there was one for Cathcart. Did Captain Cathcart read his letter there and then? No, I'm sure he didn't, and I thought... Never mind what you thought. What did you do? I said, excuse me, you don't mind if I read mine, do you? And I remember him shoving his letter away in his pocket. That's when I said to myself... Isn't he a secretive fellow? Thank you, Mr. Arbuthnot. Now, Dr. Thorpe, would you say that the wound could have been self-inflicted? I could, certainly. Would it have been instantly fatal? No. Uh, from the amount of blood I found upon the path, it was obviously not immediately fatal. Could the deceased have had sufficient strength, in your opinion, to have crawled towards the house after shooting himself in the chest? 
Uh, he may have done. Are the appearances consistent with his having lived for some hours after being wounded? Oh, they strongly suggest it. Thank you, Dr. Thorpe. And now, uh, Dr. Thorpe, could you say whether, in your experience, it is more usual for a person committing suicide to shoot himself in the chest or in the head? Uh, in the head is perhaps more usual. Uh, so much as to create a presumption of murder when the wound is in the chest? Well, I would not go so far as to say that. Thank you, Dr. Thorpe. The Lords, I find myself in a more than usually anxious position. Not that I have any doubt of your Lordship's verdict, but I will explain to your Lordship why I may be obliged to ask for an adjournment. We are at present without an important witness and a decisive piece of evidence. Now, Lords, I have just been handed a cablegram from this witness. I will tell you his name. It is Lord Peter Wimsey, the brother of the accused. It was handed in yesterday at New York. I will read it to you. Expect to secure evidence tonight. Should arrive Croydon by aeroplane on Thursday. Stop. Sworn coffee and depositions will follow by SS Lucania in case of accident. The Lords, in spite of the wintry weather, Lord Peter Wimsey at this very moment may be cleaving the air high above the wide Atlantic to reach London before I rise to open for my noble client's defense. My Lord, the barometer is falling. In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Wimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Lady Mary Wimsey, Mariah Aitken, Sir Impey Biggs, Brian Oldham, Mrs. Grimethorpe, Elizabeth Proud, Freddie Arbuthnot, Nigel Lambert, Grimethorpe and Fleming, Bill Wallace, Sir Wigmore Rinching, Garrard Green, and Benson, John Forrest. The Barometer Falls was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett. in the story Clouds of Witness. Lord Peter Wimsey.
Einstein, Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter, and Peter Jones as Bunter, with James Villiers as the Duke of Denver. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven. Episode 8, The Speech for the Defence. Lord Peter Winsey's brother, the Duke of Denver, is being tried in the House of Lords for the murder of Dennis Cathcart. Lord Peter, convinced of his brother's innocence, now thinks he can prove it, and with time running out, has rushed over to New York to continue his investigations. Monsieur! I'm here to see Mademoiselle Simone von der Rauch. Mademoiselle is resting. You have an appointment? No, but it is a matter of the utmost urgency. I am afraid you cannot see her. She never sees anyone without an appointment. I think she will make an exception in my case. Just hand her this card, would you, and say I am a friend of Mr. Cathcart's. Monsieur Cathcart? I don't think she will be there. Look, madam, I am tired, I'm in a hurry, and I mean to see her. You are English, no? I am English, yes. In that case, perhaps, come in and wait here. Thank you. Mais c'est formidable, un vrai lord, an English lord. Oh, English, yes, a lord, possibly. Il dit que c'est très important et qu'il est un ami du Capitaine Capcar. Mais laisse-le entrer. Ah. And turn the radio off. Non, 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 oui. I'll do it. Dépêche-toi. Lord Peter Wimsey, enchanté. Mademoiselle, I'm sorry to be a nuisance, but I have scoured two continents in search of you. Mais non, do not apologize. I'm pleased to help a friend of poor Denis. Yes, well, I'm not exactly a friend. But my maid, Adele, said... Yes, well, that was a kind of shorthand. Actually, I am investigating his death. My brother, the Duke of Denver, is on trial for the murder of Dennis Cathcart. Yes, mon pauvre ami, I read about it in the New York papers. They make so much of the scandal. I prefer not to read about such things so ugly. But you will help me. If you are quick. I am expecting Monsieur Van Amperdink any minute... And if he finds you here, <laughs> you understand? Seems incredible to me that someone with your sophistication, your style, your, well, dare I say it, your beauty, should ever dine or dance with a person called Van Humperdinck. Monsieur Van Humperdinck does not dance. Did you come to New York to say that to me? No, I'm sorry. That is none of my business. Monsieur Van Humperdinck is very rich. I'm a person who needs expensive things. It's not that I'm extravagant, you understand. It's just that some people need these things and some do not. I do. And Monsieur Amberdink is not only rich, but also kind. He would not be happy if he heard about some of the things in my past. Much of it was pleasant, and much of it is best forgotten. I must think of my old age. And I must think of my brother's. Otherwise, he may not have one. Did Dennis Cathcart write to you? Oh, so many times, Le Paul. But once in particular, the last letter he wrote. Mademoiselle, I implore you to try to remember what was in it. But I did not read it. It was so very long, very tedious, full of histoire. It was all finished. I never bother about what cannot be helped. Do you? But that letter, Mademoiselle, could save my brother's life. It is why I came here from London. Without it, he may be hanged. Oh, my poor Lord Whimsy. Perhaps 
not yet lost. It is possible that the letter is somewhere about. Let me look in the desk. I sometimes put things in here. Oh, how untidy everything is. I am a dull despair. What is this? Oh, no, it is not here. Oh, look at all these handbags. Perhaps it is in one of them. Have you no other evidence to help your brother? Not really. No. The letter is not here. I'm so sorry, Lord Wimsey. That letter would have been extremely valuable to the defense. Valuable? Reminds me. I wonder if Adele might have put it in my jewel case. If she thought it could be valuable, we will look. Now, let us see. No, no letters here. What's that under the tiara? Why, yes, here it is. How clever of you to notice. Thank God. May I look? But of course. Riddlesdale Lodge, Stapley, Yorkshire, 13 October 1923. Yes, this is the one. Simone, je viens de recevoir ta lettre. Que Mon Dieu, it is very important. You must go. But I assure you, mademoiselle, my intentions are honorable. Monsieur Van Amperdink will not understand. He will be very angry. Please, my Lord Whimsy, sleep out the back way. Look, I need your signature on this letter, quickly. Uh, here you are. Here's my fountain oh, pen. All right. Now, go along the corridor and through the glass door. That's right. You will be then on the far escape and can walk down. Fifteen flights? Please, hurry, or he will see you. Very well. And thank you, mademoiselle, for everything. Au revoir, my lord. Au plaisir. Hello, my big bear. Your little Simon has been so lonely waiting for you. That's it, Whimsy. We're on our way. Looks to be rather a dirty night. Oh, we'll soon be through this and way over the clouds. Thank God we've got a following wind. Does that help? It helps the gasoline situation. Here, put on these goggles and button down your ear flaps. And uh, hold tight. England, here we come. Hello? Is that you, Mr. Marbles? Why, if it isn't Lady Mary. Yes, Mr. Marbles, I want you to come round to Peter's flat as soon as you can. Oh, but my dear lady, I've only just got back from the Lord. I know, but Mrs. Grimethorpe is here. Uh, who? Mrs. Grimethorpe. She wants to give evidence. Ah. Yes, I'll come at once. Thank you. And I'll telephone Sir Impey. We'll, we'll try to meet at the flat in half an hour. You see, my lady, ever since Lord Peter spoke to me... I... I felt I couldn't keep silence. It's better my husband should kill me, rather than they should hang the Duke for a thing he never did. You're very brave, Mrs. Grimethorpe. I waited until my husband got drunk in the Lord and Glory public house, and then I I dressed Lucy. Who's Lucy? Uh, My little girl. I left her with relatives of Mr. Watchett's, where my husband can't get at her. I harnessed the horse and 
We drove into Stapley and took the train down here. I'm ashamed, of course, of what I did, but I was that lonely, and and the Duke was kind, and I, I was desperate and miserable, that's the truth, and I hope his lady won't be hard on him when she knows it all. Sir Impey Biggs and Mr. Murbles, my lady. Ah, oh, Lady Mary. Oh, it is good of you to come. Uh, this is Mrs. Grindthorpe. Do you do? Will you have some tea? Uh, no, thank you. But I'd like Bunter to pour me a brandy and soda. Of course. Bunter? Mr. Murbles. Uh, thank you. Nothing for me. Tea for Mrs. Grindthorpe and a very small sandwich. Thank you, Mr. Bunter. Hope it's to your liking, Mrs. Grindthorpe. Oh, I... I never knew I'd meet with such kindness. Mrs. Grindthorpe has told me she had a rendezvous with Gerald on the night of October the 13th. He stayed for several hours and then walked back. I think it provides the perfect alibi. I feel inclined, Sir Impey, in spite of the risk, to put this evidence in. I am ready to take the risk. We appreciate that. But it's the risk to our client we have to consider first of all. Risk? But surely this clears him. Uh, Mrs. Grindthorpe, will you swear to the time when His Grace the Duke of Denver arrived at Grider's Hole? It was a quarter past twelve by the kitchen clock. It is a very good clock. And he left you at... Uh... Uh, about five minutes past two. It would take a man an hour walking quickly to get back to the lodge from Grider's Hole. Now, you mustn't let the other counsel upset you on these points. They will try to prove that the Duke had time to kill Cathcart either before he started or after he returned. And by admitting that the Duke had something in his life that he wanted kept a secret, we shall be supplying the prosecution with the very thing they lack, a motive for murdering anyone who might have found him out. May I ask, madam, has any person any suspicion? My husband guessed, but he couldn't prove it. That very night, he hoped to catch us and do murder, but he drank too much before he started from Stapley and spent the night in a ditch. Or it might be Gerald's death you'd be inquiring into, and mine, as well as the other man's. Why isn't Inspector Parker here? Well, this is not a police matter, Lady Mary. Well, Sir Impey. The best thing we can do is to put in the evidence and to arrange for some kind of protection for Mrs. Grimethorpe. Oh. In the meantime... She's coming round with me to Mother. Bunter, call a taxi. Uh, very good, my lady. But, my dear lady, it would be very unsuitable in the circumstances. Oh, Mother said so. I hope you two gentlemen will inform Joe. Come in, come in, Merble. Well, how did the Duke react? As I thought. He said it's damn good of her and all that, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Makes me feel no end of a beast, he says. Splendid. Leave it at that. He'll go into the box and behave like a perfect gentleman. they like that. It might solve our immediate problem, but it doesn't solve the problem of the husband. Grindthorpe, you mean. Sounds an ugly customer. He has right on his side. Could be dangerous for the Duke, too. Sorry, Murbles, but it's too late. I have altered my speech, and I have no intention of altering it again. Mrs. Grimethorpe is going to give her evidence, and when Gerald is a free man, then we'll take steps to see that he comes to no harm from the husband. So Mrs. Grimethorpe will be telling her story first thing tomorrow morning. After Madame Brigitte of Bond Street. <sighs> Gerald won't like it. He won't like it at all. Now, Madame Brigitte, you have a beauty salon in Bond Street? Yes. 
Was Dennis Cathcart a client? He was an old and valued client. Would you say he was a vain man? He was particular about his appearance. But you are not prepared to say he was vain. If you call being particular about one's appearance vanity, then yes, he was vain. Thank you, madame. Will you No questions, my lord. My lord, so strong is our case that we have not thought it necessary to present an alibi. What's happening, Benson? Wait a minute. An officer's just handed Sir Impey a message. Yes. I think we are about to witness an authentic, genuine, hallmark sensation in court. My lord, I am happy to say that our missing witness is here. I call Lord Peter Wimsey. What did I tell you? Here he is, too. Straight off the aeroplane. I swear by the God that the evidence that I shall give this court shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I am Peter Deathbreeden Wimsey. I live at 110A Piccadilly. In consequence of what I read... You may sit down if you are fatigued. Thank you, my lord. I prefer to stand. In consequence of what I read on that bit of blotting paper, which I now identify, I went to Paris to look for a certain lady, Mademoiselle Simone von der Rahe. I found she had left Paris in company with a man named Van Humperdinck. I followed her and at length found her in New York. She very kindly agreed to let me have the letter which Captain Cathcart wrote to her on the night of his death. <gasps> I produced that letter with Mademoiselle Vondera's signature on the corner so that it can be identified. I'm sorry I've given you such short notice, Wiggy, old man. We came as quick as we could, but we had to come down near Whitehaven with engine trouble. Had we come down half a mile sooner, I shouldn't be here at all. <laughs> we can't have this disturbance. No, your lordships are witnesses that I have never seen this letter before. I have no idea of its contents, yet so positive am I that it cannot but assist my noble client's case that I am willing, nay eager, to put in this document as it stands without perusal. Hello, is that the evening banner? Benson here, give me the news desk. It's me, Benson. Yes, 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 sir. I know. I'll go back to the laws in a minute. Listen, old boy. The dead man, Captain Cathcart, wrote a letter to his mistress, Simone, something or other, that he'd had enough and was going to do away with himself because she'd left him for a millionaire. Verbatim? You must be joking. It's in French. Well, Dan Wright has taken it down in English, of course. They've sworn in an interpreter. You'll have it word for word, but what I told you is good enough for stop press. Yes, I I'd better get back to the, the laws. I don't miss Sir Impey's speech. Oh, uh, s send a couple of photographers, will you? Righto. My lord, I need not put before you the shocking shifts to which Captain Cathcart, this soldier and gentleman, unhappily descended. In that pathetic farewell letter to his mistress, which we have heard read, nothing is more touching than Captain Cathcart's confession. I knew you could not but be unfaithful to me. And later he writes, I actually brought myself to consider keeping my mistress on my wife's money. At this critical moment, Mr. Doyle saw the prospect of a modest position which would enable him to maintain a wife. Lady Mary, who was becoming more and more uneasy about her engagement to Captain Cathcart, makes her choice. 
she consents to elope with Mr. Goyles. And by an extraordinary fatality, the day and hour selected are 3 a.m. on the morning of Thursday, October the 14th. My lords, on Wednesday night at about 9.30 p.m., the manservant Fleming came up from the village with the evening post. To the Duke of Denver, he brought a letter with news which was both startling and unpleasant. To Captain Cathcart, he brought a letter the contents of which are easy to guess. While Lady Mary was packing her suitcase that night, Captain Cathcart signs his name, takes up a revolver, and hurries out into the garden. He bethinks him of the love token the platinum and diamond cat which his mistress gave him for good luck. He will not die with that pressing on his heart. He hurls it far from him. He puts the pistol to his head, but something arrests him. No, no, not that. He sees in fancy his own hideously disfigured corpse, the shattered jaw, the burst eyeball, blood and brains horribly splashed about. No, no. Not even in death can he bear the thought of looking so. Let the bullet go clean to the heart. He places the revolver against his breast, pulls the trigger, and drops to the sodden ground. Hours pass. Three o'clock. Eagerly Mr. Goyles leaps the wall and comes hurrying through the shrubbery to greet Lady Mary, his bride-to-be. He reaches the conservatory door and stumbles across the, the dead body of a man. He hears a distant footstep. Fear possesses him with but one idea, escape from this horror of horrors. He dashes into the shrubbery just as the Duke of Denver comes up the path to the house to find the dead body and to meet Lady Mary. The rest is clear. Lady Mary, forced into suspecting Mr. Goyles of murder, undertakes with courage to conceal that he was ever upon the scene. Of this ill-considered action of hers came much mystery and perplexity. Yet, my lords, while chivalry holds its own, not one amongst us will breathe one word of blame against that gallant lady. I think, my lords, that there is nothing more for me to say. To you I leave the solemn and joyful task of freeing the noble peer, your companion, from this unjust charge. When the clerk of this house shall address to you severally the solemn question, do you find Gerald, Duke of Denver, Viscount St. George, guilty or not guilty of the dreadful crime of murder? Every one of you may, with confidence, lay his hand upon his heart and say, not guilty upon my honor. Your bacon and eggs, sir, and four rolls, was it? Ah, uh, yes, thank you. I'm starving. <sighs> well, Parker Bird, 
hope you didn't mind my hauling you out of the Lords. Oh, glad to escape listening to the learned Attorney General. Did you know you'd arrive just in time? Sir Impey was about to call Mrs. Grimethorpe. Mrs. Grimethorpe? Where is she? Probably still waiting in the side room. What for? To give evidence. Her husband will kill her. Yeah, well, we've been requested to give her police protection, but I can't see us doing it for the rest of her life. <laughs> Though I don't think we'll be short of volunteers. Juiced, mm. attractive woman. Quite unsophisticated, of course. Uh, not really my style. Oh, you favour the more worldly type, do you, Peter? Yes, rather. <laughs> Poor old Cathcart's mistress. Now, she was a woman and a half. Oh, that big, was she? No, not at all. Quite petite, actually. <laughs> I'm surprised you found time to notice. I know, it's worrying that. Must be getting more susceptible in my old age. <coughs> oh, say, are they coming up? My lord, my lord, it's all right. His grace is acquitting unanimously. What? Hang and will you God. please come over, my lord? Yes, yes, of course, Bunter. I say, hang on. What's the suitcase for, old lad? Are we going away? I think you've done enough travelling, my lord. It's his grace's robes. I thought he might like to put them on to walk out of the house in. I felt he looked so uh, uh, vulnerable in his blue serge suit amongst all the other peers <laughs> with their scarlet robes. May I suggest, my lord, we go across before the peers emerge, if I may say so? Quite right, Bunter. Will you pay the waitress, Parker Bird? Gladly. Yeah, you better hurry. They are coming out. And there's Mrs. Grimethorpe all on her own. There she is, and there's a bearded man that... He's got a gun! By Joey! It's her monster of a husband. Look, he's struggling with three policemen. The Duke's going towards them. Look, here, Jerry, look out! Jerry! Help! Oh, he shot the Duke! He's under the boat! Oh, no, he isn't! Oh! And I know this man. What? He has a grudge against my brother in connection with a poaching matter up in Yorkshire. Well, he's dead now. Knocked down by the taxi. Oh, I couldn't help it. He, he just ran straight across just in front of my bonnet. If you're making a report, Constable... I am, Lord Peter. I am. Well, tell the coroner that I can give him all the information. Very good, my lord. Uh, oh, here you are, Charles. Will you look after Mrs. Grimethorpe for me? Oh. Yes, yes, of course. We'll wait for you. Come, Mrs. Yes. Grimethorpe, won't you? Gerald, old lad. You're looking fit, I must say. Excuse me, Your Grace. Allow me to offer my respectful congratulations. Bunter! Great Scott, the man's gone mad. Bunter! There's a north wind, Your Grace. Your robes, if I may suggest, will give you a certain amount of protection. Go on, sit more, Jerry. There's a photographer down there. Uh, Peter, old man, and thanks and all that, you know. That's all right, Jerry. Very jolly trip. Right. Come on, shake hands, put your car on it straight, and we'll be on all the front pages. I'll get into the car, I'll deal with the reporters. Well, do you want the story, chaps? I'll give it to you now. Is this Piccadilly Circus? Yes, it is, actually. Oh. You've been marvellous. I don't know how to thank you. That's all right, my lord. What are your plans for the future? I, I may go back to my own people in Cornwall. But I, I, I'm not sure. I, I must have time to think. Yes, of course. I, I wonder, could I buy my blacks in London? Your blacks? I shall have to get some for the funeral. Ah, yes. 
Yes, I think that would be a very good idea. I have money. I took it from my husband's desk. It's mine now, I suppose. Not that I wish to be beholden to him. I shouldn't think twice about it if I were you. Hey, you. What are you doing up there? Yeah? Hello. <laughs> it's old Sung. My dear old fellow, Inspector Sung. <laughs> Do you know where I am? When in doubt, always ask a policeman. Yes. Why? It ain't no Peter. Oh, uh, better be getting oh. home, my lord. Yeah, no, no, I couldn't do that, old lad. Not without good old Freddy. Never desert a friend. I wouldn't desert Freddy, not for all the rice in China. <laughs> Besides, there's dear old Parker, but... Hmm. Mr. Parker? Where? Sleeping. He's sleeping, old lad, tucked up beside the statue of Lord Thompson. <laughs> now, don't wake him. Don't wake him. That's unkind. <laughs> Parker never gets up until the alarm goes, you know. <laughs> How disgraceful. Now, I shall write to the Times about it. Your cream, my coffee. Pardon? Ha, ha, ha! It's ready. Jolly, holly, old Freddy. Dear old son, let's all go home together. Here, here you are, my lord. Uh, In you go. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> hold the taxis, Daddy Sug. It's rolling about. Yeah, well, my lord, hold on to me. Yeah, thank you, Sug. Uh, you must have the next dance with Parker. He's been a wallflower all evening. 110A Piccadilly driver. Uh-huh. Take care of him. Oh, yeah, uh, take this. Snark likely, Inspector. Only too pleased to help. Oh, I reckon his lordship oh, is entitled to a bit of a celebration. Come on, Charles. <laughs> We're waiting for you. Well, uh, come on, then. Room in the back. Yes, plenty. We're the three musketeers. <laughs> 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 Good night, gentlemen. Nighty night, Sagikin. Thank God there weren't no witnesses. <laughs> in that, the last episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, the Duke of Denver, James Villiers, Lady Mary Whimsey, Mariah Aitken, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Sir Impey Biggs, Brian Olton, Merbles, Malcolm Hayes, Mrs. Grimethorpe, Elizabeth Proud, Freddie Arbuthnot, Nigel Lambert, Simon, Bridget McConnell, Madame Brigitte, Joe Manning Wilson, Benson, John Forrest, Sug, John Bull and other parts were played by members of the cast. The speech for the defence was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Levin from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The programme was produced by Simon Brett.